never prolific, but he was always more than that, just about his goals. You know, wasn't embarrassed with the ball at his feet. Very accomplished player, maybe even a touch underrated. Subscribe now to the OTB Football Podcast stream wherever you get your podcasts and download the OTB Sports app. OTB AM with Gillette Labs. Get the ultimate shave or your money back. Neon Night Edition, available now. Right, you're very welcome along. I want to say it's Wednesday morning, the 17th of May. I think it might be straight out of the bat. Things are better than yesterday. Shane is here. Morning, other things. Nathan is here. Hey, Jerk. Uh, it's half seven. I'm going to quickly run through the newspaper headlines for you this morning. Uh, this is this is a, a, a lovely story on the back of um, Manchester United. Sorry, Manchester City. Freudian slip. Make some noise. Successful though they are, Walker City must win Champions League to be compared to neighbours United's great teams of the past. But he also says that he wants to do it for the owner. Let me get this exact headline for you here. Um, where is it? Anyway, one of the one of the tabloids has captured you, it best. You, you, you said you were starting better yesterday than yesterday, but I think uh, I think you'll find. She tried. Somewhat shambolic. Yeah. Shake a leg. Wow. Shake a leg. Very good. Let's KO Real and win big prize for the owner, says Kyle. That's what everybody's doing. Plucky underdogs, Manchester City. They need to do it for their gazillionaire owner. Well, listen, good guys, yeah. Has there ever been a more rallying... Uh, do it for Abu Dhabi! In the, in the build-up to a massive game against the greatest team in European football history? See, they're really, 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 really... I know you're all very rich. This guy's really, 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 really rich. Let's do it for him. Let's make him happy. He deserves it for making us all really, really, really rich. Now, maybe that is actually... The, the leaders in the dressing room are, you know, Erling Haaland is there. I remember my dad playing for this club when it was nothing, and I, I want them to grow. I want them to be... I, I, this, this, is what, this is our destiny, and Kyle's like, see the rich guy who pays all our wages and made us all millionaires? Let's just do it for him. <laughs> Look, uh, here's the thing. Maybe footballers are motivated by that, you know? We'll get even richer. Did he mention the fans? Did he say we want to do it for the fans, no? Or was it just the owner? I'm sure, I'm sure he mentioned the fans. Listen, Kyle, Kyle likes a night out, as we know. And maybe Kyle was out one night and he met the Sheikh and the Sheikh is like, you boys win the Champions League. You can have many more nights out. It's going to be a big bonus. Uh, he's still as fast. There's a graphic in the papers today. Kyle Walker's still as fast now as he ever was. Mm. Like literally running the same top speeds that he ever did. Which is very impressive, and he would be as fast as close enough to Jesse Owens in a hundred meter race. Not bad. It's probably Jeez. why Jesse Owens was going a bit longer. Uh, yeah, the analysis of the game last week was strange in that the stats said that Vinicius never uh, got round Kyle Walker. Yet mm. on watching it, Vinicius ripped him to pieces. So he just never ran. He never out sprinted them. He just went a different route. Uh, but you'd have to expect that tonight City go with something very similar to last week. Just go with maybe the exact same team uh, as last week. And yeah, I cannot wait for this one. Last night felt like somebody else's party watching the Milan derby where, you know, there's just such an obsession with the Premier League and knowing everything about it where like the demand for the tickets was what, 10 times greater for uh, the Milan derbies. And it was just of such importance to everybody in that stadium. Yeah. And AC just fell so flat again. They were somewhat better last night, but Inter always uh, had them at arm's length. And it is so strange watching that Inter team. 
I won't say uh, misfits in the Premier League because obviously Eden Jacob was uh, pretty good, very very good yeah. Premier League player. Now you're watching Lautaro Martinez. Lautaro Martinez could end up with World Cup and Champions League and never has a man stung to join out more at the World Cup finals than Lautaro Martinez. One of ten people in football history to be able to do that. I mean, Got the goal last night. Exclusive club. Should, the keeper should have done better though, Mike Mania. Yeah, it looked as though he wasn't expecting them to hit us uh, at the near post. Yeah. It was one of those where it sort of dipped because it maybe didn't have quite as mm. much power as you would have thought. Wasn't ready. Um, so, uh, O'Rourke blast at Hurling Snobberies. This is Carlo Kane carrying our story from OTBAM yesterday where we spoke with Colin O'Rourke. You can get that podcast in the OTBGA feed. Uh, Don Logue's comments have really ignited a, a massive conversation. Which was such a strange comment to have a needless pop at the Talchin Cup when, in a lot of ways, those Talchin Cup counties are those hurling counties outside of the top eight. Uh, okay, everybody's a bit uh, touchy though, aren't they? Everybody's a little bit touchy. Hurling people? Well, I, would, uh, um, I mean, football people are the ones who are touchy in this instance. It's like, it, it is literally the also-rounds from the top tier. I don't think the Gaelic football has the, the snobbery that, that hurling has. Are you sure? Are you well, sure? Physician heal thyself. I mean... Oh, Clonus, it's the greatest thing of all time. Yeah, oh, Clonus. But football people... Nothing but Clonus. All Clonus. No, no, no. Yeah. Football people love and watch hurling. Like, you, you'd sit down and absolutely watch an unbelievable hurling match. But would hurling people sit down and watch... A Mayo football match? Carry, uh, I'd say Mayo Carey, everyone's going to watch it. Except, oh, Diego, I see what you I'd did there, it. Shane. Yeah. I like to watch it, but... But you can't afford it. Um, <laughs> the other big story in the last uh, 12, 14 hours or so um, is that Roy Gallagher has resigned as Derry football manager in the wake of their Ulster title victory at the weekend. He had originally stepped aside for last Sunday's encounter. This is carried in all the papers today. Gallagher gone is how they reported on the back page of the mail. On the front page, it's Gallagher resigns as Derry boss after abuse allegations. And it, as I said, it's carried in all of the newspapers this morning. So... Um, so we wait and see how that story plays out um, and then the other one is second legacy this is Pep right City have already made history now it's time for the second legacy oh my legacy is secure I'm already great says Pep but like if he doesn't win a Champions League with Manchester City with all the money with the whole situation fixed the way it has been for him and I mean like they, they got the backroom uh uh, football directors and all the transfers done in advance of him coming for a couple of years. They built the project basically to his specifications. And if he doesn't win the Champions League, it is a massive letdown. It is a failure. Is it? Uh, or has, a, he, has the football been so good at points you're like, well, what's the point of this? Yeah, well, the resources that they have available, they should be winning a Champions League. But it's obviously a good thing for the sport that they're not always winning every single Champions League that the little guy Real Madrid still has a chance exactly. mm. on a night like this I, to be as dominant as they've been in English football for as long as they've been without winning a Champions League and the fact that they have collapsed in such calamitous ways through the years the fact that he goes to a Champions League final and doesn't play Rodri you know, overthinking it is the most overused word in the papers today yeah, I think there would be a, a massive element of failure, as there is every year they don't win a Premier League title. Like You're looking at Arsenal this year going, if Manchester City don't win the league with Erling Haaland, mm. and the amount of investment that has gone in, and the depth that they have, a depth that... Like, you look at the weekend again, where they're bringing in Foden, Mares, Alvarez. Like, I could sit here and make an argument, I think Foden and Mares are the two players who should be starting every game, but they're coming in for Jack Grealish and Bernardo Silva, who are probably going to be in the team of the season. Like, if you have that level of depth and talent, absolutely they should be winning a Champions League. So you can still lose a one-off game. That's the thing. So uh, maybe I mean but they've lost them in such ridiculous fashion at times over the last couple of years, and to such inferior opposition along the way. Like at, at various stages, yeah, failure. Games, right? Failure may not be losing tonight. Failure will be winning tonight and not winning the final. Yeah. 
His legacy does rest on this, doesn't it? The treble. Like, well, I think immortality. Footballing immortality oh, rests on this. Look, uh, that's a Man United-centric. Exactly. No. This is the only thing in football that matters. Like, he, 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 uh, yeah, beat, like he beat Jose Mourinho's Real Madrid 5-0 while his team played the greatest football we've ever seen. But if he can't win a Champions League with a team with the money that's pumped into it as Man City, like, then surely you have to question... Yeah, but he might win it next year. He might win it next year, but I mean... How many more years can Pep go for? He took the year out to learn his German and go off to Bayern. He, he likes his his relaxation as well. Surely he, he can't just go, He's still go. pretty young, right? In terms yeah. of football management, he's still relatively young, considering that lots of managers, you know, mm. are way older. Look at Big Sam, still going at 68. Bit of time off, though. Look at Roy Hodgson. Is Pep yeah. the constitution of Big Sam? I'd say Pep's constitution might be a bit better than uh, Big Sam's. <laughs> Less of the pints of wine. Mm. I mean, you know, the occasional cigar here and there. A few tipsy appearances on, on telly. Um, the other thing that's happened over Man United or over the night uh, overnight is Manchester United related. The bidding war for Manchester United took an extraordinary twist as Sheikh Jassim bin Hamad Al Thani slapped in a last ditch bid. So this is exactly what you want when you're having an auction. You want somebody just at the last minute to go. I've got it, eight billion or whatever it is. We don't know the exact numbers, but he did make a final take it or leave it offer. Uh, two and a half weeks after the deadline had closed. These are all fake deadlines anyway. Yeah, they are. And you do wonder how much of this is a charade that at the end of it, they end up selling to Qatar and that the Glazers... Listen, we tried our best. We, did, we didn't want to have to do this. We spoke to Jim Radcliffe. We engaged in the process for as long as we possibly could. We didn't even want to leave in the first place. But you but forced listen, us to. You, we, we had no choice in the end because these guys just came in and, and made by far and away the best offer. So well, you kept disrupting our games. You, had to, you, kept, you, you gave us abuse. All we did was like load the club with debt and give all the managers all the money that's what we did it's 100% of the club though the Qataris want which the Glazers don't want to sell so do they so not would you to, would you they? prefer would you prefer uh, that Jim Radcliffe owns 75% and the Glazers keep the other 25% or Qatar own 100% that is Sophie's choice like that is that's pretty difficult. I, I, How is it difficult? Well, every United fan wants the Glazers out, but United fans with morals don't want Qatari investment because they've given out about other clubs coming in and they've looked at Man City and Newcastle, the Saudis, and raised eyebrows at it. Why did the Man United fans not organise to try and buy this themselves? With their, like, 600 tr- trillion fans around the world. <laughs> was, there, was there nobody with the brain power to be able to do something to create a, a, a movement of people? Well, Ratcliffe's a United fan. He can... He can take it. Yeah, but he's not going to... Like, no, I know. I mean, uh, it's like, oh, he's a good chemical guy. Oh, that's great. He's great for the environment. Is there, there's no issues here. We, we have no problems with this. There's going to be issues with any of these rich people that come in and buy football yeah, clubs. Yeah, exactly. Like, exactly. But there's different levels of issues. Yeah. Right. I mean, are there, though, really? Are all issues not just issues? Uh, okay, Milan Derby. Inter's first Champions League final since uh, 2010. I have a pop quiz for you. Oh. Nathan. Oh, God. Nah. Name, Football man. Name yeah. the manager, who they played, what was the score, and who scored? What's the question? Inter, 2010. Jose Mourinho. Who scored? For Inter Milan. What was the score? In the 2010... I mean, even I know this. Go on. I, I, don't, I don't understand what the questioning is. Well, give me all the details of the Champions League final in 2010. Uh, Jose Mourinho won in 2010. Jose all Mourinho. I remember is that they beat Barcelona. <laughs> did he score? Did, did Mourinho <laughs> score? Okay, Mourinho yeah. did not score. But they beat Barcelona. Who yeah. scored? There's a player who scored, scored Oh, Bayern Munich is the correct answer. They beat Barcelona in the semi-final, was it? Beat Bayern Munich in the final? Yes, that was the messy one, wasn't it? Over two legs? Yeah. Diego... Mourinho sliding, I'm being told. Melito. Melito with the goal. 
Go on, both goals. What? How many? Two. Two nil, yeah? Two. Mm. There you go. Good man. Right. Wow. Is that right, yeah? Yeah, yeah, apparently so. Yeah. Take that. Uh, that. That was the first Saturday night Champions League final. Yeah. 2010. It was a good move. Uh, yeah, it was a good move. It's a good move. Just 13 years ago. A little bit concerned about the political situation in uh, Turkey at the moment. The elections last weekend. Never paid as much attention to a, an election in Turkey. The nuances of it and whether or not we're going to have a runoff. The runoff will be in uh, 13 days, I think. Well, it's always concerning when UEFA put out a statement going, we're not concerned about this. Yeah. <laughs> last year's final went really well, so what could, what could possibly go wrong? Yeah. Uh, Istanbul, great city. Looking forward to going. Bit concerned now that it might you be going? there. I am going, yeah. Oh. Why do you think he's talking about it in such a way? Wow, right. Uh, right, you were, you were there for the flares and or the the, uh, the badness in Paris, so you've experienced well, was hostility. He? Was he? Yeah, I think he was in a different part. I wasn't. I was. I was strolling through and getting tear gassed. Right. Oh yeah. I was. I wasn't. I wasn't prawn sandwiching it. Okay. No. Down with the. Down with the. You. Yeah, the, the normal people. Oh wow! Shots fired. <laughs> I don't know her. Did he just assume that? Yeah. He did. Yeah. Oh wow. Uh, well, if anybody has any prawn sandwich tickets, I would uh, <laughs> yeah, happily yeah. take them. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. <laughs> I am actually still on the hunt for tickets, but if anybody, uh, you know, I don't. I don't like to use the platform that we have here. The way everybody else seems to do that from time to time. Well, go on ahead. Do it. Uh, Michael says United fans with morals had to give up that battle 20 years ago it is what it is at this stage football is globalised now so it tracks the capital to reflect that uh, Pat Dorgan says as a Man United fan this morning I for one welcome our new oil overlords and hope Bruno takes note of Kyle Walker's battle cry for next year uh, yeah in, in the, you know, if, if they still have the opportunity to be making battle cries uh, in the middle of May well sorry the Man United friend group that I have uh, there's probably like eight or nine United fans and they're all split down the middle come on bring in the oil money don't care have no morals doesn't matter as long as it's money and then the rest of them are like no 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 we can't I mean this is so I think United supporters very much split them well I, I'm, I'm glad that some of them feel that way because yeah. that, that's progress I think um, from how most football fans have felt in the past a World Cup winners medal and a Champions League runners up medal from Martinez in the space of six months impressive says Phil Gerrard who I think might be our lone Man City fan uh, Luton Town in the playoff final nine years ago they were in the Conference League says James Linsky somebody else done a piece on Brighton nearly gone out of business in 1999 mm. um, or 2000 2002 and uh, there was a petition that a lot of people signed and brought to Downing Street and they just stayed in the league so I'm thinking about that and I'm thinking about Wrexham going it's not beyond the band's possibility that Wrexham are a Premier League club in 10 years absolutely move slowly up the ranks spend more money than everybody else like it's not this great underdog story their no. wage budget is far greater it and doesn't have to be that slowly either their owners have plenty of connections I'm sure who can bring further investment into the club if but you're a rich American again you're going well this is the fifth most famous team in America right now so Manchester City have just bought another club in um, Brazil is it 12 or 14 or whatever club number of clubs mm. they own around the world Aston Villa are buying one in uh Egypt and somewhere else and they're launching that model I and mean, it was Holland maybe like if you're one of those super clubs and you're looking at getting a bit of publicity for one of your star 17 or 18 year olds you would think long and hard about saying yeah we will send them to Wrexham no problems because they're going to be very famous at the end of mm. that mm. and so you can easily get so one of the players who isn't going to make it who you think is going to be like uh, you know they're not going to make it to Man City but they might make it to our American team or our Australian team and have a really good career there stick them in Wrexham as an 18 year old they could be good enough to play fourth tier football and then all of a sudden their transfer value is increased because when they arrive at the club season ticket sales go up the next season for mid-tier team there's loads of ways that they can get good players for not very much 
Yeah, that's what, uh, you know, Luton, uh, their lone players are very important to getting them promoted. Obviously, from the fourth tier. Do you want to be sick of 18-year-olds on it to fourth tier? May not uh, suit them. But, yeah, the, there's definitely a model for Wrexham to progress very quickly. I, tonight, it's Middlesbrough against Coventry. Middlesbrough, obviously, well used to been in the Premier League, but a Coventry-Luton playoff final. Mm. Like, there's no team that sums up more Premier League, pre-Premier League era than Luton. Yeah. Relegated the summer it starts. Mick Harford... In That's the sand last night, still looking exactly as he looked he? thirty right. years ago. Wow. Uh, and I don't know if you saw the end, <laughs> the end of the game, Bad. where uh, Sunderland. Are, it's funny. Most of the Sunderland fans seem quite calm about the fact that they didn't win and they're not getting promoted. That maybe it's a little bit too early for them. That for once the club is On the progressing right. in a proper manner and give it time. And next year maybe they'll be back. But um, they're pushing and pushing for an equaliser, and the keeper goes up. They think the ball's going out of play. The keeper stays up. Ball doesn't go out of play. They've got a three-on-one break with no goalkeeper. And your man puts it wide. He butchered it. Oh, I've never wanted the team to come up the other end and score more than Sunderland. He'd have been killed. But uh, Luton, capacity about 11,000. Obviously, everyone's shown the photos of the entrance to the ground. This could be a Premier League ground. It's not that dissimilar to Loftus Road. Queen's Park Rangers ground, who were in the Premier League. Yeah. You know, very, very tight. Your, the camera angle is right over the dugout. Like Bournemouth of 12,000. It'll be all right. Yeah, they'll be fine. Uh, it, is it just on the basis of lone players? No, no, no. They've obviously got a good manager, uh, Dave Edwards, who was you know, former Wolves player in there. Um, Rob Edwards, isn't it? Or Rob Edwards, sorry, Rob Edwards. Um, <coughs> so, yeah, there's obviously a, a quality. And, you know, we probably look at promoted sides differently now over the last couple of years. They generally go to, they're going to go straight down. Like mm-hmm. Most of them come up, have a good game plan, well organised, and then get a season. And then it's dependent on the level of investment they get in. It was a 2011 or 12, they were in the, they were in the non-league. Mm. Like they have some rise. And even when Nathan Jones left last year, you're thinking this team's going down. Like, they're, they're going one way. But, uh, Jesus, what Rob Edwards has done is outrageous. Uh, all right, we do need to talk about Roy McElroy, who uh, is also in the papers today for saying nothing, Nathan. Yeah, uh, most unusual. Uh, some of us have been calling for this for years and now are massively regretting saying such things that maybe the best thing for Rory is to just not give the most interesting press conference in sport every single week and just keep the head down. And now that he's done it for one press conference, it's like, how are we going to fill the full two hours of Golf Weekly this evening? Uh, so two hours? <laughs> Got to create value for money. Can I just say I think you're completely wrong? With what? Calling for him to say nothing. Do you not understand that, like, one of the biggest trends in all of corporate world is, like, uh, what's our why? Why are we doing this? What's, what's Roy McIlroy's why? It wasn't to be rich. It wasn't to be, like, the best golfer in the world because he'd done all that. After you climbed the mountain, are there no more mountains to climb? But all of a sudden, he had purpose. And his game reflected this. Him being the leader of, like, modern golf, sloughing off the, the weight of Tiger on his shoulders and actually becoming a peer of Tiger's, was really good for his game. Okay, so uh, he, he had a period where he was, again, the best golfer in the world on the back of being forceful and aggressive and telling everybody, hang on a second, this is absolute nonsense. This is just sports washing. Those guys are just going for the money and they're, they keep telling you they're going to try and grow the game. That's all bullshit. And he called bullshit on something that the whole world was like, are we allowed to say this? Is this is, will the golfers sue us if we say this? Like Patrick Reed with his, his um, lawsuits. Well, Roy was just called it all, led, led the world faced it down, forced the two tours to come together and, you know, improved a lot of basically every player on the tour and responded by playing really good golf. And now I think he's going to go back into his shell and retreat and just be Rory for Rory's sake and he that doesn't though. suit him. He's never been in his shell. So what you're talking about is the last 18 months. Rory, for his entire career, has 
been the most interesting person in golf because he has an opinion on every part of the game and has never been afraid to change his opinion from, you know, when he was a kid saying that, you know, the, the Ryder Cup was sort of pointless to this being everything that he wants in his career. Um, I So this this was his press conference yesterday where he basically decided I'm not talking about Liv anymore. He was asked a question about where the professional game will be in three years' time. He said, I don't have a crystal ball. Do you want to speculate? No. Which, for McElroy, that's usually 10 minutes later. He's still speculating on exactly what would happen. Uh, Asked the follow-up, pretty much ignored it as well. And there's no doubt he is hurting and is really taking stock after what happened at the Masters. And I do wonder as well if the high of what you're saying, unquestionably he was invigorated by being the leader of that tour and taking the fight. And as Paul McGinney would always say, elbows out, which is when McElroy is quite often at his best when you go back to his last major win, the PGA, the darkness is descending and Phil Mickelson and Ricky Fowler are standing on the 18th tee and you're thinking, are they going to get finished? And McElroy just hits the ball over their heads on the 18th tee so they can get finished. Like, I do whatever the hell I want, I'm Rory McElroy. I just wonder if now that things are almost settling a little bit with Liv and nobody is thanking him for what he's done. Like... The other professional golfers aren't going, Rory, thanks for getting us all this money. But we all know. they're doing is bitching and moaning. We all know that he did, though. But, but we all know that. And, and they I all abso- know that. Yeah, but all they're looking at is, we're playing way more tournaments now. We're having to turn up at these events. We don't want to. And you don't even bother turning up to them yourself. Uh, you know, mental health issues, Nathan. But that, he, he didn't say there were mental health issues. He, he said he was tired. No, he, he said didn't. it was mental health. He said, for my own mental health, I had to do that. Yeah, but he's, lots of players have... He's the one who set this in stone. Yeah, but he's you know. on the Netflix dock saying, you know, players need to realise, you know, in sports you can't just rock up whenever you want. So I do wonder what life on tour is like from. I don't think he has, you know, 50 professional golfers thanking Rory for making them twice the amount of money last year. I think a lot of them have looked at all of this and gone, why are you... The, who Are you the self-appointed leader of the tour? Well, he was. Well, he I mean, was. And, and it was and strange it that he... I've always found it strange. He's... um. Is he the head of the player advisory committee? And even that was always a weird thing for a Rory McIlroy. Like, that's a journeyman job. Like, but Rory, he wants to be involved in that he side of the, the game. He likes the admin in the politics, doesn't he? And, and that all suited probably him. Probably became a bit too much. Did it though? Like that, that's not why he failed at the Masters. He failed at the Masters because he's got in his own head. Yeah, well, it's interesting his comments on the Masters. that I was never so sure I was going to have a great week at Augusta. Never. And then that happened. It was a great lesson, great lesson for me. I shot five under in the back nine on the Wednesday afternoon. Felt great. Had a chat with Bob Rattella the night before. I feel so good. How can I not get ahead of myself? Now, I don't know if Bob Rattella is going to be putting that on the back of his book, that Rory McIlroy has never felt so good. And then I spoke to Bob, and I stunk the joint out. Uh, So he says he's trying to lower expectations, which I definitely think is a good thing. I don't know if this is the way of not really being yourself. Because you'd have to assume what we've seen over the last five or six years is him standing in front of yeah. the world and being comfortable. Exactly. So be that guy. Exactly. I think if he's trying to hold it all in, let Rory again, be Rory. Maybe, maybe he's going to try and do it for one tournament and see if it works. Where there's nothing to really talk about ahead of this. Okay. Except the fact that there's nothing to talk about. Uh, would you care to speculate? I would care to speculate that uh, he's going to have a bad few weeks. He'll be quiet, and then in four weeks' time, he'll be sitting down at the the week before the the Open and the week of the Open saying I've decided to go back to being myself again having an opinion on everything have at it lads ask me anything I'll tell you and there's an hour long press conference and he comes out and shoots the lights out quite possibly and we just don't know what's going inside on inside the clubhouse as to how awkward this live split is again it doesn't seem very awkward at all does it publicly 
It is not, but like Phil Mickelson is still on Twitter every day bashing everybody he possibly can and then they're having a you know champion's photo last night and <laughs> Phil is there in the middle of it and Rory's there and you're kind of wondering what's been said. Like there's definitely a shift in attitude towards live golfers around the game in America. Like they are not as welcome in all the places they were once welcome. Oh, I thought I thought it had eased. No. Oh, no, it's, it's the still okay. it's all right. still as it was. So, so the beef is still semi real. Exactly. I suspect it's just not as publicly real. And if, again, if you're Phil and you've sat down to watch the Netflix doc and you're looking at the, maybe the only interesting piece in the entire thing where Rory's gone, F you, Phil. <laughs> I mean, are you going to let that, like, Phil doesn't let things rest. No, but, uh, you know, uh, I'd say Rory needs to get back out and defend himself and go a bit more F you, Phil, as opposed to, I've got nothing to say about this. If you would come out in the press conference and say F you, Phil, and then get the juices going. That's what I'm saying. He needs to get the juices going. You... He he. You feels, surely don't think that the right, no, I, here, the right election now. Absolutely not. Um, I think he feels that there was too much juice flowing heading into Augusta. Hard to control the flow of juice. Yeah, <laughs> that, there was natural. six months of nothing but juice. Uh, so actually, but he was playing really well at that stage. He he played well until probably January. Yeah. But again, Take at a break period of the year, well, he started messing around with his driver and stuff. Uh, Putter, all of that, um, said he, he ain't going to be doing any of that uh, for the rest of the year. He's quite happy with where everything is. Nice. Uh, again, the other interesting part of what Rory did say was that uh, he's been chatting a lot with Tiger. Tiger's been watching his game, saw some things, right. called him up, spent some time. Didn't that happen before? And it, yeah. Yes. Yeah, but it worked It worked out the last time. So, like, this is The way Rory spoke is almost like every other golfer speaks ahead of a tournament. I'm finding a little thing here and somebody gave me this little bit of yeah. advice. One percenters, yeah. But they're not. It's not. It's, it's like in your head. Mm. That's what that is. Yeah. Uh, no. Nigel Gallagher says, "I reject the narrative. Sports people can't speak up on important issues for fear of it affecting their game. Some of the most outstanding sports people in history stood up for things they believed in." Uh, John Max says, "I want to see Jaron Crystal Mays." I think channel's gone up. I thought he. <laughs> I thought it was going to be Crystal I Meth. See Crystal <laughs> Meth. <laughs> in Istanbul on the night of the Champions League final. Yeah. Well, you know, yeah. if you end up in the right spot. Why does he want to see on the Crystal Maze? I don't know. I just love the Crystal Maze. Okay, oh, so you know what it is. I mean, Describe yeah. it to us there. You're the only one here. Crystal Maze was a TV game show. You know those escape rooms that are everywhere? Yeah. So it was basically a TV version of that. Um, Richard, give me a surname. Bacon? Dawkins? Looked like it could be in Right Said Fred. Richard Dawkins. Right. Was the Richard Not Richard Iwadi. This is in. Chris May is a 90s, 90s TV show. He might have done the reboot. Oh, two channels. Yeah. Uh, so it was basically a test of um, skill in each place. Richard O'Brien, and you had to try and progress on. And then at the end, they had a giant uh, bubble full of cash. Oh, and now you win. And then they used blow it up into the air. Yeah. And you'd have to catch as much as you possibly could. And you got to go home with it all. Like the dream. That's the dream for any young lad in Mayo back in the day was... Bags of cash. After winning the All-Ireland, getting on that. Bags of okay. cash and Ballyhonest, yeah. Question for Shane. Uh, who's the defending PGA champ champ? Why is this a question for me? Is it because I got Melito and so all of a sudden I have to answer everything? Because Nathan will know. Is it... Um, the first rule of production, I'm going to say, is you never start doing a pop quiz uh, on air. Well, this is deliberately... It's not Morikawa, is it? This is deliberately no. designed to humiliate and... Uh, yeah, of course. Yeah, show yeah. up. Send us down. Who is it, Nathan? Champ, champ. Thomas. Just having some fun. Champ, champ. Says, uh, 
Justin Thomas says our producer this morning well you could argue Phil Mickelson uh, wasn't earlier on, year, earlier so, on the uh, message coming through was oh last night's episode of Succession is great and I'm like okay be in the moment be in the moment but you can't be in the moment when you're completely just addicted it was very good it, uh, it's like a full blown addiction that our column has at the moment mm. you'd be in the middle of a production meeting and he goes oh, season 3 episode 4 20 minutes in we're like look I'm going yeah, we, we watched that last year it's just gone. Right, 7.57, OTBAM with Gillette Labs. Get the ultimate shave of your money back. Neon 9 edition is available now. Uh, Mayo Kerry this weekend. What's going to happen? In a while, Nathan, since Nathan Mayo played. Is the Does faith, it really matter? Is the faith wavering? Uh, absolutely not. Absolutely. Oh, I, I think you'll find that the last national title that was available to be won was won by Mayo. Yeah. So uh, let's just keep that Mayo and Limerick, the things are going great for them, aren't they? Ah, there's like this round robin, no do or die. Does it really suit? Zero, zero jeopardy. Exactly. Like the, 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 the only, if you're Kevin McStay and you've lost to Ross Common and next thing you're coming in and you end up losing to Kerry, all that sort of momentum and good feeling is, you can, there's only so much you can fake it. Mm. But again, you win your last two games, you win a preliminary quarterfinal. Now I need to feel alive. You're back. Back in Cork Park and then sure. We know I think Kevin McStay realises that. Either. You watch it live, Nathan? You get... I'll find somewhere to, to watch get it. Get the wallet out now. I'm not, but again, if, you know, I'm not paying my 12 quid. 12 quid a game is not cheap. No. Right. Uh, good to go. Uh, it is, as I said, 7.58. Uh, we have James Tracy standing by. We're going to talk to Bevan Parsons uh, live from our post, her qualification for the Olympics. We've got John Duggan's review, preview rather, of the PGA. Seamus Hick is going to uh, talk to us about the Limerick Hurlers. And Dennis Hogan is going to join us in studio. He's part of the Katie Taylor undercard this weekend. But uh, quick break and James Tracy talking... Heineken Champions Cup final next. OTB AM. The Sports Breakfast Show from Off the Ball. Right, it's uh, nearly 8 o'clock. I'm glad to say James Tracy is with us. James, good morning to you. How are you? Yeah, great. Excited. How was your phone after Ron Nagara went on uh, OTB AM last Friday? Yeah, not too bad. Not too bad. I was yeah. in a different time zone. So, uh, it's Very good. You had to wake up to it. Yeah, it was nice. Yeah, it was good. Uh, you're a plant, apparently. <laughs> yeah, a few conspiracy theories going around. He loves a conspiracy theory himself, so it's fair enough. Listen. Um, I guess like you, you still feel part of the not part of the setup, but like uh, you haven't, um, you know, you're not a full civilian just yet. Well, you yeah. are. Yeah. yeah, yeah. I'm still massively attached to the group, but uh, like last time I was in there it was the day I retired uh, in in December. Um, but yeah, like I, I've grown up with a lot of that group, so I definitely feel like a, like a massive part of it. But uh, like yeah. He can. He was never going to take uh, anything well, but you know, all of my comments come from my video analysis, so it's not like I'm making it up. No one's sending you messages here. Get this out. We need to talk about this. Come here. The, that bit before we get on to the actual analysis of the game. Like watching last weekend's game and watching next weekend's game. Are these the most difficult ones for you to watch as a recent retiree, or are you actually fully just happy to go and immerse yourself in the experience? Uh, certain parts, but yeah, I missed. You missed the big moments in games, uh, like the lead up can oftentimes be be like miserable in terms of the you're you're crushing yourself with uh with self doubt and um the the emotional waves and different things like that but uh the big moments in games i think there's there's not many things that can uh can top that feeling so definitely miss those how far out from the game do the emotional waves start? Is it early in the week or is it actually on the day of the game? What's Usually we, we know the game leading into it so that kind of distracts you a little bit, yeah. So it'll be early on in, in, in the week. In the, week, in the build right? up, yeah. Jesus, that's kind of exhausting. Yeah, it is, it is, but it's part of it all. It's, you know, and it, like, it, it means something to you so that's why 
you know, and if it didn't, you'd be uh, a bit of a serial killer. Were you, yeah. Were you one of the players that needed the nerves, or did you like the nerves to stay away for as for as long as possible? Um, to be honest, I tried not to pay too much heed to it. Like, I wouldn't even look at the weather because I just wanted to control, you know, my, my weak control. My, I can control there and uh, and not just not worry about it, all the external factors and, and everything like that. But uh, I, I wouldn't say I, I relished it or I, I uh, shone away from it, but it was just part of uh, my journey anyway. Is there a, a full-time sports psychologist that you guys worked with, or did you deal with anybody when you were? Would you talk about this stuff, or was it certainly just a personal thing, or, or stuff that you do with your teammates and go, "We're oh, feeling it now." Yeah, we've we've had a number of brilliant ones over the years, and you they kind of give you principles to work on, and like mindfulness would be big part of the week. And and uh, to be honest, it's like anything. It's like uh, if you're prepared, that that gives you the most confidence. So. Um, like the the old saying, like uh, fail to prepare, prepare yeah. to fail. It's like that's what gives you confidence. Is like knowing that you've everything nailed down, and out, like everything else is kind of out of your out of your control. You're doing an exam at the weekend. If you've done as much research and studies exactly, as you can, yeah. you're going to give yourself mm. the best opportunity. Yeah. And it's weird in rugby in that you can actually do loads of stuff in video that you don't feel like you have to kill yourself the week of the game. If physically you're up to it, you can actually. The more video you watch, it seems like the better you're going to feel prepared. Maybe some people might be. I've got too much information now as well. Well, like uh, one thing that I found watching games, so like humans in general, we all like follow patterns, um, and we like kind of getting into our routines and doing things. And uh, funnily enough, that would penny drop for me at one point in my career of like, yeah, if you watch enough video of teams, they tend to do similar things in similar areas of the field and on similar sides of the field. So. And people stand in the same areas when they're doing certain plays, and they stand a certain way. Uh, and that was kind of a, a moment for me of you're not you're not going to be right all the time. Yeah. But even if you have a hint of an idea of what might happen, you're still ahead of what you would have been if you're just reacting. Um, so that's what like I would have looked out for a lot of kind of like shapes of where people are standing, the body language like that. It's not as in depth as you think. Like people, when you're looking for the right thing, it's actually quite obvious. Um, well, because they're not trying to hide it, you know, like they've never needed to hide it. Yeah. Um, so I've always found that you might like you might only get thirty percent of it right, but it's thirty percent more than you would have known if you hadn't watched all that video, and it just gives you a bit of an idea of what's going to happen. And are you specifically talking here about defending lineouts and set pieces and kind of just watching? So if um, if a certain lineout, if scrum half is looking or has like two looks to the left, then they're going to go down the blind side. And um, you know, there's a Boris Becker, mm. Andre Agassi story, but um, in American football, there's sometimes one of the, the down linemen will have two hands in the dirt and they're not going to rush the passer and if he only has one they're going to rush the passer and the whole league knows this but they don't tell each other and so they they keep defending against it it sounds a little bit like that kind of that that's what you're getting to with this yeah yeah and it could, it could be where people are standing in the field so sometimes like the backs if they're live to fours it's going to be a mall uh, all of a sudden, you know, they're they're not as interested. Uh, or right. a winger thinks he doesn't have an impact, but he's giving me a read on where what might be coming next. Or he looks a bit, you know, he might standing be standing in between the the fifteens where the lineout's happening. And again, that could be a cue for me that this is going to be like a mall to a kick or something like that. And and little things like that. Or in the lineout, you know, people can look disinterested. Uh, and be good at the at hiding when they're going to be lifting or part of a play, or sometimes it's quite obvious that they're really bad at selling dummies forward, and you know they're always going to be coming back. So yeah. you're trying to cue people up on stuff you you might have noticed. There's some better actors out there than uh, than others. 
the mind games and media hype in the build-up, do, do players pay any attention to that? Is that is it dependent on the individual, or do you completely ignore it? No. Uh, like, I would have consumed all my media going up through my parents of what, like, they'd heard. And they're like, did you? And every time, I'm like, no, you know I don't. Well, well, I, <laughs> you know, but everyone, and so that's kind of how everyone team, gets maybe. it, either through a pal or through a parent. Yeah, is your experience of the, the parents, they think they're doing good, but they're like, did you see that terrible thing somebody said about you? I'm like, yeah. I, mean, I deliberately didn't. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Now, now I did. Yeah, yeah. But that, that was how I, so like, the lads would be the same. Like, we, we ingest enough uh, rugby during the week that um, you don't go looking for for extra bits. Um while, you know, like me and the outside now, I'd, I'd read a lot more media and consume a lot more media because that's kind of my outlet for it um, at the same time. But, yeah, it was it was parents and friends who would have given it to me the whole way through. Uh, does any of it matter? Does any of the outside stuff come in? Like, cause you're, like in, oh, you have to be incredibly motivated to reach this stage of your life. And so the whole notion that somehow one tiny bit of motivation is going to give you that extra 1% always seems a little bit weird. And then you watch Michael Jordan and you're like, okay, some people do really feast off the negativity and uh, most people are kind of somewhere in between. So was there ever external motivation for a team that you played on that had come from a source outside, like somebody said something? You know, uh, like McFarlane talking about the demographics a couple of weeks ago. Does that get mentioned at any point going, they think we're, they think we're just good because we're big, but we're not? Do, do people talk about this in any way? Um, it'd be if you're f- finding it, uh, you really want to find it like a different spark for a different reason, or like it would want to be something outrageous and half true, I suppose, for you to to buy into it. But right. like again, it would all it would always come from an external factor. You know, maybe it'll come from the top down with a certain comment that a coach has said or something. But like it wouldn't be our week wouldn't be built around it. It'd yeah. just be thrown in maybe to stoke the fire a tiny bit but definitely wouldn't be around the game plan of they think they're this we think they're that you know it, it'd be more a lot more logical on on the game plan and then as I said like you're trying to stoke the fire a tiny bit with maybe a few things but we all have our own way of of, uh, of geeing ourselves up and as I said like I, I, I found my own way through competition and different sides of it like that like we never, I never had to be riled up too much because I always had it internally yeah um, since Leinster won the, the Champions Cup in Bilbao there's been heartbreaking semi-final and, and final defeats uh, always against like the best team in the competition so they're, they're, they've been the second best team in the competition most years uh, or close enough to it the opportunity for them now is to like retrospectively cap this as an incredible era which is, starts with one win and finishes with the second one and obviously <coughs> whatever happens next year happens when Lancaster's gone Uh but there's a lot riding on this. Like retrospectively, it justifies all the building and the heartbreak. And if if they lose, then those last few years, the heartbreak is actually magnified more. I would say, in a way, there's no there's no kind of oh that was our building block to get to this point, and it all makes sense now. It just none of it makes sense. It's just all heartbreak. Yeah, uh, it's so hard to win. I, I, I like wish you could like quantify how um, how difficult it is. To, to to win a European Cup and you need like to be on like the top of your game for like like the most important part of the year you need to be on the top of your game you need a, like a slight, a slight bit of luck on your way in terms of injuries and stuff like that you need your best players to be peaking at the right time of the year um, and also it's like the bounce of the ball sometimes like I, I spoke about the Dulan uh, missed drop goal in last year's final and like 
the ball comes back into the field uh, about 15 like it's about that that short of going dead and you know all of a sudden you're easily clearing it and it comes back into Johnny and um, you know it's good kick pressure gives it to Hugo they get turnover kick to the corner score a try and you're like off of nothing you know what I mean like, off of like a, a shot to nothing drop goal and a game can swing on that and like you can do all the prep you can do all the uh, things you want but like sometimes it, it just comes down to those razor sharp moments of like just losing that moment and you could you could have been great all year and like that goes both ways um, but the thing is it's like what, there's no shame in losing to to La Rochelle there's no shame in losing to that you know Saracen's team we lost to they're an exceptional team but it hurts so so much um, and that's what it, that's why it means right so much more yeah. that's why you put a star in the jersey because it's not it's not something that you can just go and do just because you want it it's like it's incredibly incredibly hard journey to go through Will Roger have been a tad displeased with the result last weekend is it the case of Munster poking the Leinster bear in some ways uh, I would say he's pleased from his Munster point of view but uh, I, I wouldn't say he'd be he would have cared really like he would have probably preferred Monster to win from just from a, a selfish point of view of of his uh, attachment to the club. But um, yeah, I listened to the, the two different games. You know, week on week, it's two different games. Keith Wood was on yesterday, and he was talking about the the Leinster selection. You surprised at the Leinster selection? Like, were you were you surprised at all with the the team that Leo Cullen put out? No, I, I uh, we spoke about it a little bit uh, last week. I thought consistency would would have played a factor in terms of that selection. And um, I, I would have done the same thing, to be honest. So uh, it's easy to say that when you lose, you know everything. Everything was wrong. But if you, if you win, all of a sudden, um, you know you're a tactical genius. But like I, I thought, in fair dues to to Munster, like you know there was a few huge moments, and I, I think like no more than that. Like Mike Haley chase back. Uh, that's like that's what wins you like big knockout games. Is those no talent moments as well as nailing all the basics. And uh, I think there's a, a few harsh lessons for some of those uh, young Leinster guys at the end of of just missing a few moments and and uh, making mistakes when it really mattered. But at the same time, Byrne came up with a few huge moments. Coombs came up with a few huge moments. And that Mike Katie Chase back. It's it's something special. I don't know if you have you did you watch it back for. I haven't seen that bit back now. So. Um, Ball breaks, Harry Byrne kicks it long and Tommy O'Brien just takes off and there's no monster backfield and he, he just zooms past Tyg Byrne and, and Scannell, I think. And it's it's just a certain try, like the ball even just tees up for him right at the line and Haley had corner flagged from the other side of the field, uh, just sprinted with everything he had and just, just kind of like made contact. We were both going for the ball but like did enough to put Tommy off in, for a certain try and at that point... It would have meant it was a it was a two score game in Leinster's favour if they'd gotten that and it would have been a big big turning point. Um, but anyway, uh, Haley wins that moment and, and like that's the sort of thing you need to do in in big games and just uh, come up and for your mates and win those kind of no talent moments. Um, does it have an impact on how training feels this week or does everybody uh, the uh, Lancaster was talking sumo? I think in his Monday press briefing, I don't assume it didn't happen until Tuesday normally. But um, is it is it straight away in the Monday? That's parked, and it's a different team this week. Yeah. And you know, it is a different team because Ryan comes in and uh, Caelan Doris comes in, and the front row comes in, and um, you know they're all 
genuinely world class at the moment if you're picking a world 15 most of them are, are getting uh, at least consideration if not straight into the team um, so does does the result matter in any way does there a hangover from it everyone will be hurt I think you, like uh, I think you can't not watch like you know at the end of the day um, like you're, you're a band of brothers in there and um you know when 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 you lose, you all lose, and that includes the backroom staff. Everyone's so invested, so um, I think it'd be uh, shying away from it, saying that the the group won't be hurt and, and you know pissed off, um, and that's just the the nature of sport. It's just got to dust yourself off and go again, but try use it in a positive way. Um, but yeah, they'll definitely be to be hurt. What elements of that Leinster performance will they be most hurt by? Uh, just how they managed the uh the the last maybe twenty minutes. Um like they, they were in the game. Like the thing is like it was a very good game. I was it was a class class fixture and um I think you know, you, you look at uh we were picking and going um with about like, maybe ten minutes ago and, and uh Byrne comes up with a big steal about three metres out from the line when when Keeney was over the ball. Moments like that, where you know, when you're in the attack, the percentage are massively in your favour. You know, so um, it's it's just understanding that and 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 you know, not making any mistakes and just eking eking out the defence because it's so hard to defend in that situation when you're on your own uh, try line. Line's going to break. Yeah, but something's going to break. But it's also so easy to go offside. Um, it's it's you know, a lot of the time you're defending it like two on one. Uh, when with like the those short picks, it's like it's it's, it's very, just very very tough to defend. So it's understanding that uh, perspective when you're in the attack in it, and just making sure you're calm and composed. And then, and then also, uh, you know, there was a couple of um, of kind of silly like knock-ons and stuff. Just little moments where the error of kickoff is kind of crucial at the end as well, where you end up. Thinking you're going to get the ball back, hopefully, and it's a scrum to them, and then they just they just kill the game. Let's talk about La Rochelle, right? What 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 do Leinster need to do differently this year than they did last year? Because like, notwithstanding the end of the game, they were in front for a large portion of the game, so it's not that different, really. No, I think they played really well for the majority of of last year's final, and I think more of the same. You know, um, maybe tidying up. Like as I said, there's going to be a lot of of pressure. Uh, they're going to be in the back of the tackle quite a lot as well. They're clever at doing that, where um, the tackler will make his tackle and he'll just be a little bit slow to to roll out of there. And as uh, when you're when you're trying to clear out these guys who are in so fast, Batia, um, Bougarid, etc. It, it impacts your entry um, into the rook that guy on the ground and they know what they're doing there as well like that's it's a it's a fairly common thing in rugby to be clever at if you if you can get away with it so um, it's it's understanding that that's coming and been extremely effective at doing it their mall uh, at times was, was was brilliant. They did a great play up the front uh, in the first half. Uh, Skelton did a good job of blocking Tyke Furlong into the mall, and uh, they went up the, the five meter line with Aldred and uh, and Bougarit. Um So, like little subtleties, if we can stop those sort of little plays at source, and if we can stop their mall get, getting momentum into the game, um, I think we'll have a great great chance. Uh, you know, we'd. 
we scored really well. Um, or sorry, we, we didn't score well enough in the in a twenty two last year. We we, we played the um, territory game really well, but we probably could have executed a tiny bit better. So just winning one or two more or those moments and um, containing them, uh, uh, containing them all, I think would be a really good chance. Um, what are your concerns about this uh, this game? Like, what are the bits that you're like, oh, just a little bit, this Slavishell team, they're good here, here and here. What are the bits that when you're thinking about that, you're like, okay, this has to, we have to stop them here, apart from the... the, the well, the, like, the rain and champs, so, uh, like, they have a lot of... Uh, lot, lot to be concerned about. But um, you look at their their pack, obviously, and and Igraj touched on like how do you stop the power, you know, and, and like that comes from a fair point of like you have these like men or absolute giants of men. Um, so obviously that that is uh, going to be a massive challenge for the lads. But like it's nothing they haven't played against before on the international stage and and, and stuff like that. So. Um, but it, it's dealing with that, and when those sorts of players get momentum in games, it, you know it, it can unravel fairly quickly because they're they're very skillful as well as being like big big men, getting their nose through the line. But uh, I think for Leinster, it's it's controlling um, controlling the pace of the game. Hopefully that the the ball and play time will be high, and they won't be um, kind of taking injuries and uh, little things like that to, to give themselves a breather. But uh, Let's hope the ball, balls in play. We're going to see a class game, and it's a real kind of slugfest. Looking back on last year's final, it was uh, all points from the boot, which was, I mean, it's just the nature of a final. We've seen uh, incredible teams reach a final, and the the suffocation of the pressure that's involved, and also the fact that you're playing the other best team in the tournament. Yeah. You know, that's the other bit. It's like, oh, they didn't score any tries, well, yeah, because Lars had a pretty brilliant. So, um, like, how do you not? be suffocated by the fact that this other team is great and also it's the final and so much is riding on it and they put so much into the fifth star narrative um, how do they just go out and play as loose and free as they possibly can Jeez if I knew that I'd be rich man if I could sell that uh, the like you go into a final like, there's always because it, it means so much to both sides as well it's you know it's it's so hard to get away from that side of it uh, like I think both teams will want to score tries in turn, and when I say that, I don't mean like obviously everyone wants to score tries, but I mean when they have penalty opportunities. I think both teams you'll see going to the corner more than uh, maybe the final last year, okay. where they understand that like the score tally needs to be built up enough that uh, it won't come down to hopefully the last play. They're going to try to give themselves a little bit of wiggle room and also scoreboard pressure. Um, but to, to uh, like that's really all the answer I can give you because just be a bit more aggressive with the with the penalties a, li- a little bit more aggressive when when the right time comes and sure look that's that's always in the eye of the beholder afterwards like oh they went to the corner and they scored a try it was amazing they went to the corner and they got stopped the clowns why yeah. didn't they take the points you know like, yeah it, and that's listen you live and die with a sword and the the decisions will be made based on statistics one but at the end of the day it's it's game feel as well you know it's is this a moment where we we need to go for the throat and put the um, put the hammer down that that like we're here to to not let you off with just three points if you're going to give away penalties? So um, I think you'll see them hopefully be a little bit more um, a little bit more aggressive with with those decisions at the right times. Um, but I also feel like it probably is coming the other way too, um, just from from watching them. Yeah, um, just looking at last year's teams. Um, so James Lowe's been fast. Past fit, we've heard Henshaw is obviously back 
Uh, Jimmy O'Brien went off at halftime last week. I haven't heard any updates. Mm. I don't know. Is he? Do you expect him to be fit or not? I haven't heard any updates, but I, I would expect it. It, it was it was probably precautionary. Okay, and then the only other obvious change it looks like is Sexton. Um, unless maybe there's a doubt about who James Ryan's partner is, it looks like probably Ross Mooney will start. Given that, um, I, I don't know what your instinct is on that, but um, it's basically going to be the same team except with Ross Byrne in for Johnny Sexton. Yeah. Uh, Sorry, Dan Sheehan starting obviously. Yeah. I, I listen. I, I'm excited about uh, as well. Like for, for Ross Byrne, what an opportunity to to put his stamp down and and uh, you know kind of kind of take the reins for for Leinster going forward. You know, it's 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 been his team since uh, Johnny's got that knock. So um, I'm excited to hopefully he can get the job done and, and cement his name as one of the uh, one of the Leinster greats going forward. Uh, okay, what are your levels of confidence? Well, like it's looking from, uh, like I'm obviously biased, but um, it's going to be a slugfest, and I, I, I'm no, listen, I'm I'd be mild, mildly optimistic yeah, rather fair than, enough. That's than, it, than confident because like it's just it's too close game, and, I, and that's not me sitting on the fence. It's like well, I, like listen, I hope we're going to win. La Rochelle like, will become one of the all-time great European teams if they win. Yeah, so that's what that's what's on offer for them, you know. Like, but you go through like the team sheet, but through both team sheets, proper proper world class players there. So like, it, I, I just hope that the game is as good a game as as maybe like the that Toulouse game was, as the France game was in the Aviva. That you know you just love it to be a real. We won those games. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah well, exactly, exactly. <laughs> but at least it was you know entertaining, yeah. free flowing, and it, yeah, it's and not just a kick fest. Yeah. That, you know, you, you, that's what you hope. So and then we that, win at the end. Yeah, that's exactly. Yeah. Get a win at the end. That'll that'll really top it off. Um, advantage, but maybe. If it's going to be that slow fest, that really close game. Uh, definitely, it definitely makes a huge difference playing at home, and, and like playing in France is. is Unbelievably difficult because it's such a hostile environment. So having having it in the Aviva is uh, so you'd hope the fans do get there early, make the noise, bring the heat. Oh, like and we like Lancer of the last few years. I've uh, like said it, uh, you know, as much as we can. The difference it makes when everyone's there behind you, it's just incredible. And you know, we, you know, we've tried your. The, the connection piece with all the all the, the, the different counties in the province is so huge for us because you're trying to build uh, like going forward we want a packed RDS a packed Aviva at every game and we want people to actually really care because they know that we care um, so please God I know it'll be it's a sellout and everything like that but He's got the the atmosphere lives up to to the game, and the game gives him something to shout about. The first twenty minutes of the atmosphere in the semi final was sensational. Yeah. Just when the crowd was getting behind the team, it was like this feels absolutely massive. And it, it does it have an impact? Because it's always hard to tell, really. If if, so if you, afterwards the players just like you don't necessarily you, know, you don't necessarily it. hear it, but you feel it. That's it. And it's like when the momentum's going your way, you feel it on the other side as well. When things are going against you, and that like. Just the whole place is just going bananas. It's uh, it just makes it clouds your your thoughts and it just affects you in a way that it's hard to explain. But when it's behind you, it's you know it's like you're on a, like adrenaline and and it's just incredible uh, wave to ride. Um, and you like you look at some of the you know say Tom and uh, or like Anfield. Like why why is it so hard to play there? It's because the the atmosphere. Is always 
so hostile and electric. It's hostile against the, the opposition team, but when the home teams get a bit of momentum, it's like the place is absolutely hopping. And hopefully, um, you know, the AV will be like that on the weekend. It's as good a rallying cry to finish on mm-hmm. as we could possibly hope for. James, best of luck at the weekend. Thanks a million. It's uh, 25 minutes past eight here on OTBAM. We're live with Gillette Labs. Get the ultimate shaver, your money back. Neon Light Edition is available now. Uh, we've got Ireland 7 star Bavin Parsons next. But first, here's Kathleen on last night's show talking with Joe about Aoife Mannion. Did Aoife Mannion play, by the way? She did, yeah. Uh, she's pretty much nailed on playing, I would presume, given how well she settled in yeah. pretty much yeah like I was over in Marbella for the first game that she yeah. played and in a dreadful game a dreadful game uh, shining light but, it, but it, straight it wasn't, away it wasn't as bad in the Spanish sun when you were sitting there <laughs> I watched it on a dodgy laptop yeah. uh, not a dodgy stream it was on the RT player uh, doing five things at once and it was it was painfully bad but I do remember thinking oh quality here oh the minute she got the ball yeah. it was impressive like because I I would have watched a little bit of her in the WSL, but obviously she's been out for so long with injuries. And I remember the first touch she had, she was right beside the goal. The ball went down to her. She had a Chinese player on top of her and she held the ball, carried it around the Chinese player and played it out from the back. And I was just like, yeah. did anyone else see? That is not the Irish way of playing. She's very assured and yeah. there's like a pace to her passing. And so she looks very good. Uh, it's Cathy McNamee from the Koi Gig pod talking to Joe Malloy on last night's Off the Ball on News Talk. You can get the latest episode of Koi Gig wherever you get your pods now. You can get it uh, in the football stream in the uh, OTB Football Podcast Network as well. Uh, now, I'm delighted to say Bevan Parsons uh, is with us, fresh from qualifying for the Olympic Games in Paris. Bevan, how does that sound? Sounds good. I could get used to hearing that, to be honest. Uh, have you? Are you going to get one of the Olympic tattoos? That is um, apparently everybody gets them once you once you're entitled to. Everybody just has to. Um, I'll have to get there first, make it to to Paris. But um, yeah, if I do, I definitely will. We're already having discussions of where we'd put them and everything. So yeah, it's in the works. Um, the the moment of qualification. What's that actually like? Because this has been a, a very long process to get to this and and a lot of a lot of eggs were put in the basket of of qualification for the olympics so is it joy is it relief is it a mixture of all this what's it like um like for me it was just pride like i was just so proud to be you know a part of this team um because there's been so much hard work on and gone on for the last eight years to try qualify so i was just so proud to be in the right place at the right time and and be able to get it over the line you know we had all of our families over in France and it felt like we had home advantage over there and and to, you know, put smiles on their faces, you know, it, it was just such a proud moment. Were there nerves before that game against Fiji, Bevan? I mean, it was a 10-5 win in the end, but I, both teams knew exactly what was on the line. Yeah, absolutely. Like, I think bef- for the lead-up, we were all trying to keep our nerves to ourselves ourselves, and, and not really discuss, but as soon as the game was over, like... It, it all came out of the woodworks and none of us had slept. We'd hardly been able to eat. You know, our rest and heart rates were up in the hundreds. So, um, yeah, the nerves were through the roof, but we we're all trying to manage it and just get it over the line. It, it uh, was a goal that you've had for, for quite some time. You mentioned your family being there and I think one of your family members maybe reminded you of a, of a goal, a life goal, a sporting goal that you'd written down in school as a, as a kid. Yeah, um, in school, just one of those exercises... Um, you know, what is your goals in life? And people put down, you know, be happy or be a millionaire or whatever. But 
I remembered us putting in, I want to go to the Olympics. And at that stage, I didn't know what for, what I'd even be playing. I definitely didn't know it'd be for, you know, rugby sevens, but I just knew I really wanted to go. So it's been a goal for as long as I can remember. It's a slog, isn't it? Uh, You travel around the world and it all comes down to one fifth, sixth place playoff in the end. Uh, So it's like, as you say, uh, an eight year process, but it's eight years of slogging to be basically an overnight success in, in the end. Um, were there points along the journey where you were thinking I'm not really sure this is going to happen for us um, with the talent in the dressing room like you know when you're playing with the likes of Emily Murphy-Crow Lucy Mulhall like I could list out the full team like when you have that much talent in a dressing room you know that it's going to happen like you just have that you have to have that self-belief or else it definitely won't happen um, so to, to qualify through the series was, you know, amazing. And, and we knew we'd get there somehow through Europeans or through the world repetage. But to get through, you know, plan A is to get through in the World Series. And we did that. So not sure if we fully believed that that would happen, but it did. So, yeah. When did you realise that the talent in the dressing room was going to be in, enough then on the other side of this to, to have the confidence that actually this is going to happen for us? Because uh, that, that, in a way, that's a bit freeing. And I, I know you've spoken before about the advice your dad gave you to to play more like a kid and, and um, I guess, uh, be more in the moment. And the, the psychology around that, uh, you can read a lot about that and you can and, and kind of understand deeply. But when, when did you begin to feel like, um, OK, this is a serious goal, but actually we're going to be able to achieve it? Um. Well, in recent times, you know, we had, we started off the season so well and we were on a high, you know, we were getting to semi-finals on a regular basis and we built up a 16-point lead, you know, from the likes of GB and Fiji, who were our main competition. Um, so we were in a really good place and then we had, you know, a bit of a, a dip around Vancouver and then Hong Kong coming eighth in both of those tournaments. But, you know, the belief was still there and the resilience was there to bounce back. And we did a lot of work with our psychologist, Siobhan. Um, and we came up with this sort of mantra of be buzzing, be present, be together. And that was our whole thing. Like we were just working as like a hive, as bees all together. And we just wanted to be buzzing. That was our sort of our theme for Toulouse. And, and I think it just really showed and, and that sort of focus on us and, and trying to, you know, block out what Fiji do or GB or the rest of the competition do and just focus in on us, sort of instill that belief again that, you know, we, we are good enough. And yeah, we had a bit of a, a winding road to, to get there in the end, but, but we always knew that we could do it. That work you did with Siobhan, um, like sounds so important from a psychological perspective. And, and I've read that in, in advance of the game, you're kind of telling yourselves, we don't need to make this a pressurized event, which, Sounds like a simple thing to say, but, but from a from a team perspective, it can it can I guess force everyone to relax a little bit. Yeah, like we all when you're playing in front of your family, um, you know, usually they're up in the middle of the night watching us because there's so much time difference. But to actually have them there at a sevens tournament, um, that brings some pressure because you obviously want to perform in front of them. Then there's a the pressure of knowing what's at stake, but. We just told ourselves, you know, we have three shots at this. If it's not through the World Series, we can do it through Europe or then we can go on to the World Repetage. And, and we sort of took a, a deep breath and, and our coach, TJ, sort of 
was like, let's not stress about this. Let's not pressurize it. Go out and, and chase performance and not results. And, and then, yeah, it, it all worked out. The attention will turn to Paris, uh, maybe not immediately, Raven, but, but, but eventually. Like, are there realistic medal expectations or what's the hope? Yeah, absolutely. That's like to go into Olympics and, and not hope for a medal. I think it's, it's daft. Like we're, of course, we're, we've so much talent, like I said, and we're such a hardworking group of girls that, you know, we have a full year to prepare and we definitely want to come home with an Olympic medal. Will there be a, be, I'm sure there's a lot of communication between the sevens team and the fifteens team as well off the back of the Six Nations. Did you manage to, to keep in touch with the, with the Six Nations team at all or, or watch any of those games or how, how was that experience for you? Yeah, absolutely. Like we're Irish women playing rugby for Ireland and, and it's, it's not one versus the other. We're very much together and we hang out in the HPC together and, we're very much the the one group. Um, we're playing different codes, but yeah, I've stayed in touch with all of them. We've support like we watch every single one of their games, no matter where it was. I I know we watched the France game, you know, the night before our Hong Kong tournament. So you know, we're there to support each other, and vice versa. They've all been supporting us and celebrating this with us, and and we really are the one group. It was obviously a dreadfully disappointing Six Nations, but I guess the the one positive you can take from it is that it is a young team. When you look at the number of caps in comparison to other countries, there's so much inexperience there that that campaign can only help. Yeah, absolutely, definitely. Um, even with us, like this has taken eight years for us to qualify for this Olympics. Like we've been trying and trying. There's girls that have been knocking on this door for so long, and then you know. A program just needs to grow and develop and people need to get more experience and the girls will have learned so much from the Six Nations and and they're such a hungry group of girls and you know it's only up from here and people have been watching you play rugby it seems like for a long time but they forget that you're still quite young only 21 nearly 22 is that right yeah 21 uh, so there's obviously plenty of time for you to have both a sevens and a 15s career which of them do you actually prefer playing um in, in the game itself, which is the easiest slash more crack to play? This is the million dollar question. I get asked this on the daily. Um, it's like asking to choose your favourite child. Like they're so different. With sevens, I get to travel the world and play in these really cool events. And, and you know, we're such a tight knit group because there's so few of us and it's a really fast paced game. So exciting. And then on the other hand, there's 15s where you can play in front of a a stadium of people at home and, and you can't really replicate either feeling. So I just love playing both and any chance that you get to play for Ireland is just so something that you have to cherish. So I don't mind what code it is. I just love playing both. Do you hope that maybe after this Olympic cycle is over that uh, there's a way of the sevens qualifying and the, say, the Six Nations, for example, not overlapping as much as they do, that maybe World Rugby could look at scheduling to change it so that you can have the best players playing both at different times in the year? Yeah, like, like that would be the, the dream, wouldn't it, that you can play both um, and neither would be compromised. That would be amazing. But at the same time, I think there is enough players and and enough depth to have two very strong teams in the future so I think that's something we also have to work towards um, but yeah if, if if that could be a possibility I'd love that Have Ballinasloe ever had any Olympians Bevan or are you the first? 
Um, yeah, there's Cyber uh, Brazil. She does the modern pentathlon. Um, so yeah, I'm not on my own in in that sense. There aren't many of you though. No, <laughs> not yet. Um, obviously, the other thing that you have uh, is a, a college career going on at the same time. How do you manage this? Um, it's just support, really, and and reaching out with you know your lecturers. And I've been so blessed that that DCU have been really just so helpful for me this year. Like they've really taken on board that it was going to be you know a very hectic year. We're traveling all over the world, and and there's so much at stake. So they really, really helped and, and guided guided me through and and. You know, it's helped me keep both balls in the air. I was going to say, do you think it's important to not just have one identity as a professional athlete and actually also at the same time be developing other strands so that if injury happens or whatever, because, it, it, you know, we, we, we talk to athletes all the time who, who end up having a career cut short through injury and they're not really prepared for what happens next in life. But uh, it seems like rugby, among other sports, uh, has been better than most at actually saying no you need to continue to develop as a as a person and make sure that you're ready for whatever's coming next yeah I think it's vital like even for your own peace of mind to have something else going on in the background to be able to take your mind off rugby or vice versa um, and we've been so lucky that you know everyone in um, in the RFU is very supportive of you of you doing that and rugby players Ireland have been so good you know, for linking up with colleges and courses and making sure that people, you know, are proactive in developing themselves off the pitch as well. Has it been nice to have the time to unwind, Bevan, since the since he's landed back from Toulouse? Uh, judging by social media, there's been quite a quite a, a few fun celebrations since you landed in Dublin Airport. Yeah, yeah, we've been celebrating. We've been celebrating um, in style, to be honest, and and I'd say they're going to go on for a couple more days. So. Yeah, just really enjoying and, and soaking it all in. Well, listen, enjoy it. Congratulations, Baben. Thanks a million for joining us. Cheers. Thanks so much. It's uh, Baben Parsons, one of the stars of our sevens team who have qualified for the Olympic Games in Paris in 2024. It's one of the first events, actually, those first few days, uh, the team sports are happening. So uh, fingers crossed we'd all get to watch those games free to air in the Olympics next year. A reminder, OTB AM with Gillette Labs, get the ultimate shave or your money back. Neon Night Edition is available now at 8.40 on the day before the PGA starts, it's time for Virtual Insanity. You have entered Power Drive. Oh, wow! John Duggan. Pierre and Shane, how are we both doing? We are very good. How are you? Good, thank you. Have you ever had a more competitive golfing environment than you do right now? Probably not. 156 players and the most deep field of the four majors for this PGA Championship, which starts at Oak Hill in upstate New York tomorrow, as you say, Ger, at noon Irish time, and four Irish players in the field, Rory McIlroy, Shane Lowry, Padraig Carrington and Seamus Power. Quite a dejected Rory McIlroy almost that appeared at the press conference yesterday. Um a little bit glum, a little bit down. Yeah, what do you think of this? Because we had this conversation with Nathan earlier. I'm like, go forth and tell everybody everything you think and be your own. Like, come on. He's at, he's at his best when he's... A flamingo. Yeah, letting himself go. Yeah, I, I like Rory when he's when he's given out a bit the, the lift her. But I think he plays better for it. On the on the regular tour he does. Yeah. Uh, but in the majors... Yeah, of course. Uh, it's been the... 
But he wasn't one of majors before the lift. No, no, he wasn't. He wasn't. And I, I, I just feel maybe he just is fed up of of, of talking exuberantly about everything, uh, which he was doing before the Masters. And maybe he just needs to let his game do the talking. I think that's not a bad thing, to be honest. I just think it needs to be just all about golf for Rory. He's so uh, expressive. The media love him for that. Um, even back to the time he was ripping a shirt, was it in Dubai? Um, he just wears his heart on his sleeve and so lovable about him and he's so candid and it's just fantastic when you see the anodyne nature of, of most sports people. Um, but I just do think he just it just needs to be what, what we see through the um, the 72 holes this week and he's actually a member there. His wife, Eric, is from there up in Rochester. Um, I think he's got Michael Bannon there. Tiger Woods has been helping him out a bit. I think we could t- we can talk. I think we, I think I'm exhausted talking about Rory McIlroy um, around major championships. So I just love to see him just do it. Um, there's always going to be expectation. I suppose the expectation is dulled by the fact that the um, the players around him are playing so well. When does the odds of a Rory win lengthen to the point where you're like, hey, you know, actually, oh, yeah. I'm oh, back in. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, well, not since. Uh, it was Hoylake when he won in 2014. He, I remember, he was 18 to one that week for the uh, for the Open Championship, um, and he's never really been those prices since. Like he's about 12, 14 uh, at the at the at the most this week. I'm not uh, I'm not interested at that price. No, you know how can you be interested if you were back in Rory? Um, you see, a lot of the profit that's been made in Rory in the last years has been on each way where he's been having a rake of top tens, and you get your money back or a small profit on it. But if you're looking to win. You're talking about what, you know, nine years by four. You're talking over 30 majors where you're losing. So I wouldn't be, I mean, he might, I'd love to see him just go out and just win it by 10 shots. But I just look at the competitiveness of the field. Like you've got John Rams won four times this year, won the Masters. Scotty Shafter's playing out of skin, won the Players' Championship. Last week at the Live Golf, Dustin Johnson beat Cameron Smith in the playoff. And we saw by the Masters with the way Phil Mickelson, Patrick Reed. Yeah. All played. Golf is golf, it turns out. It is, yeah, unfortunately, for the villains. Uh, we don't like to see the villains win, the goodies and the baddies. Um, but yeah, so I've gone for four guys. Um, the good friends that are Xander Schaffler and Patrick Hantley, um, I'm going to headline Xander Schaffler at 16 to 1 for nine each way of our virtual cash. Uh, we are a bit down this year, but we're hoping to get it back over the next while. Xander Schaffler is a model of consistency. He's an Olympic champion, so he's won a big event. 23 majors, 10 top 10s. So if you're looking each way, I think that's not a bad thing. Second last time out at the Wells Fargo. Seven PGA Tour wins. Three wins last season. Hasn't made a cut, missed a cut all year. His last five appearances have yielded results of tied fifth, tied tenth, fourth, fourth and second. A fourth in strokes gained total, which is the stats. And fifth in approach, which is important at a course like Oak Hill. What's not to like about Xander Schaffler, who's the um, headline pick, you want to call him Schaffler, Schaffler, uh, Schaufella, whatever you want to call him, I think he might win this week. I think he's the headliner. Patrick Cantlay, uh, I know I get such stick for picking this guy all the time, uh, but I have been doing this 25 years. And I do think I'd like to back myself like Rory McIlroy. I don't need to prove myself to anybody. <laughs> so um, the big change of Patrick Cantlay, he's now got Tiger Woods caddy on the back. He sacked his caddy a few weeks ago and he got Joe LaCava on the back. I think that could be a huge help. Joe LaCava won the Masters with Fred Couples. He was there for Tiger Woods' win at Augusta a few years ago. He was with Woods for 10 years. I think that could be a really big thing for Patrick Cantlay, who does have the all-round game and the temperament, you'd have to think. He's won eight times on the PGA Tour, including the, the Memorial Tournament, which is a similar course to Oak Hill. He's also won the Tour Championship. Um, a lot of people uh, don't like his slow pace of play, but if it's a, a winning bet at 18-1 to 1 for 8 euro each way, you can 
say that you want to take him until next month to get into their, um, you know, the the hut to get the trophy, the Wanamaker trophy, because it won't matter if he's won. So Patrick Hantley in his last eight tournaments, his worst finish was tied 21st, five top fives this season, driving the ball very well. You need to do that at Oak Hill because there's a lot of tight fairways and strong rough. Third in strokes gained off the tee. And I do think he actually has the bottle. He just doesn't have enough reps. But his last couple of major tournaments, he's actually played quite well. Ricky Fowler is going to be the comeback hit of golf, folks, at 60-1 to 1 for five each way. 103rd in the world at the end of last year. Now 49th. Why? He's working with Bo Charman again, the best coach in the game. Um, he's still young. He's only 34. He has a second place at the Masters US Open and the Open in his past. He has three top tens at the PGA. Uh, he's got, on his last five starts and tour, finished in the top 20 in every event. His irons are, are going very well. He's hitting his irons very well at the moment, Ricky. I remember when he won the Players' Championship a few years ago, showed a lot of um, resilience to do that. I think Ricky Fowler is going to be a comeback story in the next year to 18 months in golf. Why not this week at 60-1 to 1 for 5 each way? And the final pick through green-tinted glasses is Seamus Power at 200-1 to 1 for 3 Ooh. each way. Mm-hmm. I don't know if you read the uh, Paul Kimmage stuff. Uh, fascinating two-parter over the last couple of weeks about Seamus and his journey from... Seems like a good fella. Yeah, Waterford to East Tennessee to like going around in the Avis car and uh, being 429th in the world at the end of 2020. This is only early 2023 and he's now 39th in the world. What a story this is. He's won a couple of times in the tour. He turned up the PJ last year, tied ninth in his first start. Then he was tied 12th at the US Open. He does make a lot of birdies. I was going through the stats on him. And through all that adversity and uh, having to be the guy living in the Holiday Inns and the um, whatever they call them over in America the the budget hotels um, driving around and now you've gone from that to being somebody who's got millions of dollars in the bank uh, a couple of year exemption you know you're, you are as free as Rory McIlroy is in the straitjacket you are as just as free as a bird and I think that there's always a surprise there's always a name there's always somebody who comes out out of nowhere and does something in these tournaments. It's not always going to be Ram, Sheffield, or Rory. It doesn't work that way. In the way. PGA in particular. Yeah, exactly. Um, Jason. This is the one. Yeah, Jason Duffner won this 10 years ago. Um, 20 years ago, Sean McKeel turned up at Oak Hill uh, and won and had not won a tournament before, and he's never won a tournament since. Mm. So th- you can have strange results. And Mito Pereira last year threw it away on the final hole and allowed Justin Thomas to get in and win the playoff against Will Zalatoris. So I think Seamus Power, I think the penny has dropped for him. He's got a very good short game. I think a 200-1 to 1 for an Irish perspective it might be a worth, a worth a run for your money. So Seamus Power, Ricky Fowler, the kind of more the each-way ones. Uh, Patrick Hantley and uh, the headline tip for virtual insanity. PJ edition, folks, is... Uh, Xander Schaffler, and it'll probably be the fifth story um, if Seamus Power wins because of all the sport we have this weekend. That's this week's virtual insanity. <laughs> You have entered Power Drive. Oh, wow! I think they might make it number one if he wins. Yeah, yeah, hopefully. Top of the league. Unless Limerick crash out, which is a possibility. Yeah, that is mad, isn't it? Uh, it's amazing what one game can do, the Clare-Limerick game, just in terms of the whole... Like, it's great as a Clare fan, um, if Clare beat Cork, we're in the Munster final. If we lose to Cork, but if Tipperary beat Limerick, Limerick are out and Clare are through. So it's kind of it's kind of fallen Clare's way a bit at the moment. I think it looks like Thurless is going to be close to a sellout for this game. Whereas... It's on TV! Yes! 
<laughs> whereas the game between Mayo and Kerry might not be. Right. Uh, I think um, sales at the moment are sluggish. Now, the weather's going to be really good, so maybe that changes people's minds and they all decide to, to go for the day are out. Are people really interested in the football championship, though, really, until the quarterfinals? Well, I, I, that's uh, Yeah, they are. What I'm getting to here is, um, w- why, why is Kerry Mayo not doing more business when it's Kerry and Mayo, two of the best teams in the country? Because I think there are 16 round-robin teams into 12. They're both going to qualify for the preliminary quarterfinals at least anyway. But do you, you want to avoid that preliminary quarterfinal, don't you? Ah, uh, like if you're going to win it, you're going to win it. So I, I just think there are too many meaningless games in the Gaelic Football Championship at the moment. One thing I was very interested in was Michael Foley in the Sunday Times had this really good idea, which I thought, yeah, this is a really good idea, to actually split football and hurling completely and keep the split season. So you do... Um, the football championship between, say, whatever, February and July, and then you've got the football club season. But, the, but you have the hurling club season for the first six months, and then you've got the hurling championship after that. So between whatever, July and September, October. I think that would be a really good way of letting the championship at inter-county level breathe, keeping the split seasons, not, not having um, all this madness of traffic jam and congestion you have at the moment, which is annoying everybody. We definitely talked about this one time before, and I remember the answer that comes back is, what about the dual club player uh, whose games keep getting put off at various stages? I do wonder if there's no way of like having a forum where you listen to those people and yes. they have a say and you take on board what they have to say and you say, OK, well, we're going to... Everybody has to give a little bit for this. But I, I, I think that, like, you know, on, on balance, having... Having them have their own windows would be pretty amazing. Wouldn't it? You'd have... Um, and then I think you'd also then, I think, be able to get a bit more clarity in everybody's minds about, OK, we can run the provinces in February, March, and then we can run the kind of a league structure or whatever, or a full now clear football structure until July and have uh, no competition from hurling for TV and then run... And hurling is obviously a shorter season anyway. Then run hurling, summer hurling, July, August, September and have your hurling championship finished then. Well, Colin Rook's point yesterday was even around the nature of the championship. So in the football, he was like, you play the league, and then you go into a championship structure in your province. Then you go back into a league now for the round robins, and then you go back into a championship for the quarterfinals, which confuses players. Um, in a way, right? Uh, not really. To players agree, aren't confused. To agree, though, it's... Like, the players, are, they've got to do their jobs. I, I'm not, I, think that, uh, I think that what's happened here is that uh, the league and the provincial championships have now morphed into less relevant because we have we're about to have a round robin which is exactly the type of system we should have now you could have a home and away and you could have a third tier so there's more jeopardy you know like 16 teams is too many to be competing for the All-Ireland we know there aren't 16 teams who could win it well why, why, why don't we just have 16 to 8 well why don't we have 12 10 and 11 or 12 depending on whether or not you want New York to come over and, and back um, I'm, I'm fairly sure the organisation has more than enough money to facilitate that and it could be a really good thing for them if they were to think long term about this but if you actually had three tiers instead of two have your provincial championships at the start of the year and there's a trophy and you incentivise the teams to win that by offering massive amounts of support for the winning team's holiday fund or whatever you need to do like maybe you guarantee them an extra million in funding for floodlight projects around the county and it's a big massive celebration and everybody comes to those games because it's important um, and then you have your proper home and away eight or nine games that are all championship games all around the country is that not like are we not are we, is the solution not staring us right in the face a league based championship well, well the solution for me is always to have um, you have to have four leagues 
because then you have that extravaganza of Croke Park where you have a Friday night, say, Division 4 final, then you have Saturday Division 3 and Division 2 finals, and then you have the, the, the All-Ireland final on the Sunday, and then you have the massive bank holiday for the country on the Monday. I think uh, using your bank holidays is also a really good idea. There's been lots of Mondays recently where there's been no sport on that are bank holidays, and you're like, oh, why are they missing these opportunities? It used to be great on the August bank holiday weekend for that to happen. I don't know. What it, is it? It's a festival of football for the, for the four leagues, like Division 4, 3, 2, and 1, and people get promoted every year, and then you have your A-team Sam McGuire Cup. Um, or 16, whatever. That'd be pretty intense and it'd be brilliant. Yeah, home and away, Dublin got to carry, carry back up to Dublin, Dublin Mayo, Mayo Dublin, and then maybe the top two finish off at the grand final. Like a, something not, not too dissimilar to Aussie rules. Um, what about Julian Nagelsmann being ruled out of the Spurs job? Where are you in, in the Spurs melodrama? Um, Thomas, Thomas Frank. Thomas Frank could be great. Yeah, Thomas Frank could be great. Um, Robert De Zerbi, Roberto De Zerbi could be great. Um, Sloke could be great. The Feyenoor guy. They all could be great, but they've got to work with Daniel Levy and Donald Cullen and the Enoch board. Uh, so that's a challenge based on the fact that it seems that Antonio Conte and Jose Mourinho and um, Nuno Espirito Santo and all of these managers didn't seem to have that beautiful gel that Merchant Pochettino seemed to have with the board. And um, Like it was a big mistake to sack Pochettino and of all places he's going, he's going to Chelsea. It's like Brian Clough... Um, losing the power struggle at Derby County in the early 70s and then rocking up a couple of years at Forest and winning two European Cups. Yeah, it's possible that Pochettino wins two European Cups, isn't yeah, it? Yeah, like absolutely. It's not, it's not beyond mm, the yeah. possibility. Because, he had, because the money's there, Chelsea. And like one thing about Spurs, you don't hear Spurs being linked with any players. Now, maybe you need the management structure and the recruitment and all that to be in there, but you don't hear Spurs being linked with anybody. Arsenal are already making their plans for next season, 200 million, whatever the Cronky war chest is. But, well, they're getting rid of Xhaka... They've gotten rice in. They've got these targets. We'll see. We'll see about that. That comes in the immediate aftermath of them being crushingly murdered at home by a superior, by a supposedly (laughs) inferior opposition. And then all of a sudden, the transfer leaks happen. Oh, that's interesting timing, isn't it? I think they were... I think they were... Extract them from our failure. I think they were shot. I think they were gone. They were, yeah. And maybe it was just the last thing of a dying wasp against... Yeah, yeah. And And it's going to be painful for Arsenal because... It's going to be harder for them next season. It'll be harder for everybody. The one thing, the one exciting thing about it is Liverpool. You know, for their own sake, should get their act together. Well, they've got a, a, a shock new uh, German yeah. director who's coming. Yeah, in. yeah. This is very interesting. We'll, we'll do more on that later on. The yeah, week. he's a good pals of Klopp. Uh, Chelsea should get their act together. United. You know, if the Qataris actually win this, Newcastle, City. It's going to be a big landscape changing over the next five years. Villa, yeah. Well, there's Spur- Villa have they've got a new guy in there. Was yeah. it somebody in the back? Barca's guy, yeah. yeah, yeah, Barcelona. Yeah, yeah. There you go. And the, the, those guys are, you know, they've a lot of money. And that's very important. Uh, uh, the football director. So, so Spurs are forget about Spurs. Let's uh, one last thing. Shane Long. Um, Shane Long had that moment that most people don't get in their lives, where he knocks over the world champions at home with an absolutely stunning goal. That's like. That's a career right there. The header against England it was a friendly, was it? it was a friendly. Mm. Um, uh, was he also the fastest player in the Premier League at one point? There were stats about him, weren't there? Yeah. His pace, ridiculous. It's yeah. the only time I ever cursed on Twitter was when Shane Long scored that goal. I said, I want a mulligan for this, but that was an effing brilliant live moment. <laughs> you, were the, you were in the stadium. Ah, oh, look, that was, that's the first time I remember now I felt that Lansdowne Road had become a soccer stadium yeah, and, yeah. And, and became like the, it was the birth of the Lansdowne Road of Eva Stadium mm. because before that it wasn't, but that was the first day of it. I wish him the very best. Um, I wonder, would he be interested in coming back and playing a bit of football in Ireland or maybe 
bit of hurling. Maybe just a little bit of hurling. He's not too old just yet. He could do it. Yeah. yeah. Uh, he scored the fastest goal in the Premier League as well. Mm. Seven point six nine seconds is the uh, is the note coming through here from um, Colm. Well, he's so. one of our great strikers, greatest strikers of all time. Like from an Irish perspective, isn't he? Like no. to, well, no, to to have such a career in the Premier League consistently. No, I don't, I don't, oh, sorry, we don't need to overrate it. Like he he had a great career. Be the top ten Irish strikers of all time. Well, the top ten, like yeah, that's that's the greatest Irish strikers of all time. I mean, you're, depends you're, on how big your list is going. But te- uh, the top ten strikers of all time in Ireland would be okay. So pretty uh, impressive. First off, it's Robbie Keane, and then it's John Aldridge, Frank and then Stapleton. It's Frank Stapleton, yeah. and then it's Niall Quinn, and then after that, I, I'd need to go back and ask Gilesy about his generation. Um, but like. I don't feel the need to grandfather them onto any list. He had an incredible career with great moments, but I don't, you know, uh, he didn't hit the heady Assistant heights. Assistantly Premier League is my point. Like, I think he, he's certainly in a conversation for one of our one of our great strikers. I'm not saying he's ahead of any of those names you mentioned. Of course but they're, they're, like, what's your definition of greatness then? You're like eighth or ninth or tenth on the list, but like, the gap between the top of the list. in the Premier League. Imagine if we had strikers right. We, like Evan Ferguson all of a sudden is getting a few goals in the Premier League. We're like, we're losing our minds. Did you, did, did I would just check the stats on how consistently he scored in the Premier League. Who? Shane Long. Shane Long, yeah. Well, he was he, he was consistent Premier League strike, but he was one of those workhorses. 11th in the all-time work? list for Irish scorers. I always, uh, always laugh at the Trapatoni Shane Long. Um, Nathan says he's 11th in the all-time list for Irish scorers in the English top flight. Right. Ask Shane Long why! He no baby! <laughs> that's, that's one of my favourite ever quotes in Irish football. <laughs> Maybe we can play it. <laughs> I don't think we need it anymore. That was that was, yeah, yeah, was perfect. JD, yeah, alright lads. On that note, good stuff. More from John, of course, on Saturday afternoon on Off the Ball on News Talk. Now we're turning our attention to hurling, and uh, whatever about there being no jeopardy in the football this weekend, there is tons and tons of jeopardy for particularly the Munster Hurling Championship. I'm delighted to say Seamus Hickey is with us to talk to us about this. Um, Seamus, we did not expect to be in this situation where uh, there are a sequence of events which aren't that ridiculous this weekend which could see Limerick crashing out of the championship we did not see this forecoming at all I, but it's I saw it coming insofar as it was going to be an exceptionally competitive monster championship and I saw that Clare were second on the list for Limerick and that could go either way so uh, I would have seen a potentially a potential scenario I don't think it's you know it, it's definitely possible I, I don't know if it's going to be likely that Limerick are going to be out of the championship by the end of the, the weekend. But the reason they're there is because Hip are playing really well. Cork came back and snatched a draw uh, to save their monster championship lives in Parky Creeve. Clare, you know, gave a huge performance against Limerick and then met a, you know, a really, really disappointing Waterford side. So outside of Waterford, I would say the four teams in Munster are playing, you know, they're playing for their lives and that's that's championship that's brilliant for me like that goes back to the times when you had no safety blanket you were playing a monster semi-final for the chance to stay alive and you're you know you're going for it there's there's nothing to there's, there's nothing to hold back for uh, and to me that that's perfect I love the, <clears throat> I love the round robin because we get great matches and we get them more regularly uh, but the stakes this weekend remind me of, of what I feel championships about yeah it's a bit mad in that um the football championship has been designed so that all the good teams get through and the Munster Hurling Championship has been designed so at least one good team every year gets kicked out by, you know, basically the end of May. It kind of feels like maybe maybe some people learn some lessons from the uh, Munster Hurling when they were drawing up the football. But like, uh, I don't know. 
it's a bit harsh on one of those four good teams you've been talking about. Yeah, but like realistically, then when you're talking about the Leinster Championship and Munster Championship combined, you've eleven total teams in in the in the race for Liam McCarthy, uh, and then you bring in the Joe McDonough champions, and that's twelve. So it, you, we're just hurling. We're dealing with the disadvantage of just not having enough top tier hurling counties. Uh, I would say for competitiveness across the board, you'd rechange this championship structure if you had eighteen, sixteen, eighteen competitive teams. Um, you know, if even if they had like like football, where you've got maybe twelve really high end teams, um, you know, in the top you know, division one, division two in the national league, we'll say. You know, but that's the reality we're dealing with in hurling is that we have a traditionally you know competitive uh, and you know doggy uh, dog monster championship, and then we Galway grafted into the Leinster championship. It becomes far more far more interesting for me. The Dublin Wexford game became incredibly. Uh, meaningful, particularly in the last five ten minutes when you know Wexford were hunting for that that score to stay alive, uh, and Dublin then saw it out. So for me, to me, it, it it's two good championship structures, uh, and in Munster, yeah, the the consequences are pretty stark. Why are Limerick playing a little bit less fluently this year than they have in previous seasons? Good question. But if we if we flash back twelve months, right? So Limerick. 12 months ago were off a horrendous league campaign and there was this same existential questions about is you know is it too hard to sustain this and are they on the decline so flash forward in 12 months the Limerick players were the ones that consciously wanted to go for the league uh, this year they were the ones who wanted to you know to go for the the trophy and to kind of to show what they were about uh, and they did that in emphatic circumstances. They, their second half against Tipperary in the semi-final was again, you know, it was an exceptional performance. The final against Kilkenny, uh, whereas I would say Kilkenny probably weren't primed, and because of the Ballyhale contingent and the depth that they went into the club championship, they probably weren't, I'd say, at full tilt. Uh, but Limerick again performed exceptionally well, and trying to sustain that because the league and the championship are so close. To aim for a final, win a final, and then carry that momentum into another competition where it's actually the earlier rounds. I think that's a difficult thing to do, um, and I think they they probably did pay for that against Watford. The the performance against Watford was 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 lackluster. It was loose. It was indisciplined at times. Um, and then when it came to Clare, they actually played quite well. Um, like Seamus Fanning and, and Aaron Glenn are still very sharp. Uh, Tom Morrissey was really caused all sorts of trouble to Dermot Ryan in the half forward line. Yes, we lost Keed. That was a huge loss, uh, you know, to, for me. Um, but, you know, structurally, Declan Hannon's having a good year. There's a lot of good things happening. It's just that Clare fought for absolutely everything. Uh, they won, I would say, 80% of the turnovers around midfield. And Limerick had 15 wides and lost by one point. So that's how, that's how close these games are. And that's what the margins are when two very good teams, uh, play off against each other. And, you know, look at the, the two versions of the, of the championship fair we got from Limerick and Clare last year. You know, what was between the two teams last year? Um, it was literally a puck of a ball. So for me, it's not panic stations, I don't think, for, for Limerick, but I, they're, they don't have the fluency, uh, I would have seen. 
uh, was a, even at times, but I'd say 2021 is their high watermark. Uh, last year, it felt like a struggle all the year through from the start of the championship to the end. It was just win at whatever cost and by whatever margin it was necessary just to get over the line. This year, they played well against Clare and lost to a team that was better on the day. Um, and now they're going to come up against a Tipperary team who are hurling really well with a lot of, a lot of cohesiveness, I would say. Uh, they're playing, they're moving the ball really well from back to front. They, they look like they're coached well. They look like they're playing to a plan. Um, and they're going to be hard to break down. Um, but that same Tipperary team has conceded, you know, six goals in, in two championship matches. So that's, uh, that's a, that's one for, for Seamus Fanning and Aaron Glenn to, to sharpen their knives for. Seamus, you get all these rumours abound of um, discontent in the Limerick camp, shock exits from the from the squad, uh, completely unverified rumours, I should add. Um, Sorry, we verified that they were untrue. We did actually uh, yeah. talk to the Limerick press office and then say, here, look, we just, we're just doing this because uh, we have to do it. And they were like, no, not true. And, and all this, Seamus, when, when rumours like this that uh, aren't verified start coming out, I guess it's just a sign of, of a team that has been so successful that, that all of a sudden these things crop up from somewhere and People try to latch onto it. Well, like I, I, I think of any high-functioning team, and, and the only team I can compare them to are this current crop of Limerick players and, and this team uh, and the management setup as well. Like the only, the only teams I can compare them to are like the the Dublin, you know, six in a row football team, the the Kilkenny four in a row hurling team. You know, the really high-functioning teams, the Uniteds of the 99-2000 kind of era, like when Ferguson was in his pomp. You know, we really just had uh, uh, a villain at the top that, that people want to see fall. And, you know, the, the price of success is that you're there to be shot at. So I don't think... You can't complain about these things. You just have to get on with it. Um, for me, particularly, you know, the... The, the interest in the players off the field heighten, heightens. I never had that same interest off the field for most of my career with Limerick. Uh, you know, it was, you know, and after 2018, when I stepped away, I really saw it, you know, step up drastically. And, you know, f- you, unfortunately, that's part of the, that's part of the modern world. So particularly the online world where you kind of have to be either ready for the scrutiny or, uh, you know, you, you don't put yourself in the, in the public arena. So it's, it's a tough one. It's a tough one for players. They, you know, they, they're they're under the microscope for pretty much every time they 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 go out on the night out these days. So it's uh, it's a it, it's a strange one. And like you said, rumors. Then you, you've no control over that. You've zero control over unsubstantiated uh, stories that sound good and that people want to be true, but are not. So it's uh, I think it is. It's part of being at the top. I remember you know again this, the same kind of stories uh, coming out of the Dublin camp. You know, a lot of it centered around Dear McConnelly, a lot of it centered uh, around the different personalities that people didn't understand but wanted to get at the likes of. So Stephen Cluxton was a mysterious guy. People were basically trying to create stories that fit <laughs> their view of him rather than actually understanding who the guy was. So, you know, it does. It, it sounds like that that time. Yeah. And it, it also uh, the gossipy nature of Irish life and society. We, we all do love a bit of gossip and WhatsApp has also fed into the ability for some random or says something in a pub and suddenly it gets everywhere. Um, I, just in, in terms of um, how the team are, are changing or if they are changing from a tactical perspective and how other teams are beginning to understand what it was that Canerk's philosophy was doing to them, um, it does feel like there's been a bit of a close like 
for all of the difficulties that Davies had at Waterford, he still did manage some things um, which caused Limerick some issues. And then it, the next day out, we saw Clare completely revitalised from their opening championship match do something slightly different again, which is also natural part of that progression through a great team. Uh, eventually Mayo got closer and closer and closer to Dublin without ever uh, getting over the line against them. So do you expect a reaction or a response from Limerick that they'll change things uh, up slightly? See, I don't think they're going to change fundamentally what they do because it, it is it is so bedded in and so ingrained. What I would, I kind of push back again about what you're saying about teams are doing tactically. So if you actually look at the first 15 minutes of the Water game uh, before before Waterford lost tight, tight to Borca, uh, Limerick were basically, they could do what they wanted. Uh, they When Waterford dared them to do short puck outs they did them and they went to they went out to Sean Finn they went out to Barry Nash and they worked them through the lines very easily because Waterford were pushing back they were sitting off the half back line to basically cut out the, the dangerous long ball to to the half forward line to Hegarty uh, you know so Limerick basically had their way uh, for the first 15 minutes and scored at will uh, and even could have had more if Billy Nolan wasn't like I thought Billy Nolan's performance against Limerick was superb um, in goals for Watford. So it, they really did have their way. For me, as soon as Tyke Bork went off, Limerick got an extra man. Uh, or sorry, Limerick uh, had, didn't have Tyke as the sweeper to avoid, you know, a talismatic character for, for Watford off the team. I genuinely think they just they, they sat back uh, and I think they relaxed a bit. And I think Watford realised that they had lost somebody of huge importance and had to fill in the energy and the leadership that he provides and they raised their game. And I think the game completely changed because everybody was expecting a rout after the first quarter um, and I think Limerick then were actually taking short balls and hitting them long and okay. they were doing uncharacteristic things uh, so you know I think they went out of character against Waterford against Clare Clare's long puck out against Limerick was, was diabolical it was useless it, it, they lost 60% of their of their long puck outs against Limerick uh, what they were winning was turnovers they were winning hooks and blocks and uh, tackles and turnovers uh, in the half forward line and midfield, particularly, like Dave Fitzgerald was huge for them. I thought Cotton Malone was brilliant around the middle. Ryan Taylor for me this year has been a revelation. I think he's really grown into and stepped into um, a, a really strong role for Clare. Uh, so you know, I, I think that tactically against Clare, Limerick weren't out thought. I think they were outworked, um, uh, and because a lot of the things that that Clare were doing. Uh, against Tipperary, did it against Limerick uh, last thing, and a lot of those things they did last year. So it was, it, uh, I think, it came down to execution. So I, I think teams have tested Limerick tactically, trying to dare them to go short and work it out, and they've actually been very good at that when they've been disciplined. Uh, but a couple of times against Clare, they took a, a short ball to Dan Morrissey, and Dan Morrissey stood on his D and launched it, which to me is not the the way. It, it's it's not the it's not the way it's coached anyway by Kinnerk. It's uh, it's work the ball through the lines and and then launch from your own your own your own half back line your your own sixty five uh, where the the likelihood of hitting space and a more accurate ball into your full forward line which is our dangerous line um, that's that's the way that's the way Limerick want to play uh, but I would say when you when you as players when you actually relax a bit and get outside of what you should be doing um, then I, I think the consequences are then you. you you, you don't look as you don't look as uh, fluent or as, as as joined up as you should be, and I think that was the case. Okay, um, obviously the emotional understanding of how that game against Waterford went then 
would suggest that uh, when they're going to be up for the game, they're going to be okay and nothing more alive than a full Thurless against Tipperary to make you feel alive in the Munster Hurling Championship, particularly when you know your crown might be on the line. So, in a weird way, would it be better for them if it was increased jeopardy in the game in Thurless? Uh, 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 I, I think it's only simplistic to say if they're up for it. They're like they're playing good teams. Uh, like, but uh, I think it is. If they I, don't allow the complacency to seep in, that sits, you know. Yeah, yeah exactly. That's exactly. what I mean. So, yeah, I, I agree with that. So, like, if if you're talking about trying to trying to stay focused, then you know, there's nothing focuses the mind like the potential of a of a do or die. But it also, for me, the, the, the clear loss might not have been a bad thing to recalibrate. But also the the, the three week break. Uh, they're really, really fortunate with the schedule. Um, with the three-week break since the, the Clare game before this Tipperary game, like of all the teams that are there, I, I very few are, are, are better than Limerick than going away to a camp, uh, refocusing and coming out of it rejuvenated. So, like it's uh, for me, it, the timing is even better for them. Uh, and like you said, uh, full thoroughness against a quality team that you cannot take for granted. That's a good thing. I think it's uh, I, I, from a Limerick perspective, you'd expect a reaction in terms of performance, and uh, and I, 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 you know, I would hope as a Limerick person that that's enough come Sunday. Could the Limerick bench prove fairly crucial, Seamus? Uh, because you think back to the league game, and if memory serves me correctly, Tip stayed in the game for large swathes of it, but then the, the, the Limerick kind of brought the troops off the bench, and, and slowly but surely they, they throttled Tipperary out of the game. And, and if you look at the, the lads who came off the bench against Clare the last day, Mike Casey, Hegarty, Mulcahy, uh, Conor Boylan came on uh, late as well. They have some serious strength and depth that that could prove crucial at the weekend. Yeah, so I think every I think every team is building a strong five subs off the bench. I, I see it across the board now. I see it with Clare, with with with, with Jim Eaton and Rob Mouncey. Uh I see it in Tipperary. I see it with the likes of Connor Stakelum came on the last day. I thought he was superb. Like, and they've got three or four different guys that they're bringing in to to, to really shore up the fifteen because that's what the modern game requires. Uh, for me, against for Limerick, I think their bench is strong. But then you're testing your bench when you're when you've got the likes of Keane Lynch now struggling for for fitness, um, and you know like Sean Finn. Sean Finn for me, he's irreplaceable for what he is. He's an incredible player. Um, he's he's just he's just a joy to watch uh, how he plays the cornerback position for me. But the reality is, then like you've got Mike Casey coming in, um, and he's he's a top tier uh, fullback as well. So you know we're fortunate that we have the depth, and Richie English is still there, uh, and another all star cornerback. Uh, he's still there to come on. So we do have depth, particularly in defence. Defence we've got we've got incredible depth, um, but then when it comes up the field. Um, when you lose the likes of Keane, when you lose the likes of even Garode being off the last day, um, for me, Cahill, I, I have great faith in Cahill O'Neill, but you know it's slightly below the pace and, and the standard that's required yet. He can grow into that. He's a very young guy. Um, but yeah, so that, that bench is going to be important. But for, for me, for Tipperary, and the league was a kind of a, a, a repeat of what I've seen previous years, is they need to be able to close out games. Um, I think that's, that's as much mental... Um, as it is physical, uh, and, and even in terms of executing skills, like they, like even against Cork, just been able to, in, just been unable to close out five, six point leads, uh, in late stages of games, uh, and just for me, that's, that's, there's going to be questions there for me for that temporary team until they actually do it. Yeah. Until they close out team, until they stop Limerick, um, in, in the second half, because unfortunately, the last three years, 
they've really fared poorly uh, in the in the closing period against them. Well, they're going to have a full-throated roar roaring them home if they do have a five or six-point lead uh, on Sunday. Great to have you with us. Thanks a million, Seamus. Cheers. Cheers, guys. It's uh, Seamus Hickey helping us preview the Limerick game specifically at the weekend. We'll talk more about the Clare Court game later on in the week as well. Some highlights for you on the OTV Podcast Network. Caitlin Thompson was on talking tennis. Um, the football pods, uh, Paddy, James and Tommy uh, talking about Don Logue and uh, also Rugby Daily with the latest from Ronan O'Gara. You can subscribe to all of those in their various individual feeds. Uh, it was OTB Daily was the uh, Caitlin Thompson one. Follow us across all our social channels at Off The Ball on Twitter at Off The Ball AM for the specific show handle. After the ads, Kildare professional boxer Dennis Hogan's going to join us in the studio. You're listening to OTB AM. OTB GAA. I think it has become a little bit sanitised. You need somebody to bring a bit of colour and wit and enthusiasm. Last point on this. Colin Moore said that in punditry today, that colour, wit and enthusiasm is missing. Tune into the football pod. <laughs> Paddy Anders and James Dunne will bring it for you. Subscribe to the OTB GAA podcast feed wherever you get your podcasts. OTB AM with Gillette Labs. Get the ultimate shave or your money back. Neon Night Edition available now. Okay, the Katie Taylor fight is this weekend on the undercard. Dennis Hogan uh, defending his IBO super welterweight world title. Dennis, welcome home. Yeah, it's good to be back here, mate. Yeah, finally, uh, after all this time fighting here in Ireland, yeah. What's it like? Yeah, yeah, great. Uh, the buzz is fantastic. Um, happy to get up to Dublin, but I uh, was here for three weeks um, preparing in Kildare and uh, everything's gone to plan, so it's exciting. So for people who don't know, you've been in Australia a long time at this stage. Yeah, yeah, um, maybe 12 years or something. I went over uh, 2011, early 2011 to, to, to get a few fights and probably was planning on basing myself in America, but got there and uh, grew roots and uh, and here we are. <laughs> so just spool back a bit. Um, you fought as an amateur. When did you decide to go pro? Oh, look, you remember um, the recession kicked in 2008 and I was a carpenter for 10 years and things got a little... Uh, it was just getting to that point where I was either going to go professional now or not and then there was no shows pretty much in Ireland around that time or very little and... I knew there was a load of shows going on in Australia, so uh, I went back there and and, and was uh, it was it obvious to go to Australia? Like, how did the idea come about? Oh well, not not to everyone. It wouldn't have been, but I'd gone over there on an Irish team, so um, and then I was told, you know, if you ever want to go, because I I sort of did have a bit of a pro style about me anyway, um, and I was told if you ever want to go back and get a fight, you can come back here, and 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 that's what I did. So you turned pro essentially over there, basically, right? Yeah. Not not a well-worn path in Irish boxing history. Not many people have done that before, have they? Yeah, but, well, one person had done it before me, Dean Byrne from Crumlin, had gone over and done the same thing. Right. Um, uh, so um, there was a little bit of a path there, that, but, um, but I was happy to, to, to go over. I had been there backpacking for a year. I, I really did like Brisbane. So I said, why not go back there and, and, and you know, do, your, do your morning runs in the sun? <laughs> when you say you did have a pro style, maybe explain that to people what that uh, entails. Like why, why, why did you suit the professional ranks particularly? Well, well, for me especially was um, just that you know the third round we'd be in the third round and uh, the fight would be over and um, and I would have had a lot more to give. I'd be just warming into the fight, so we knew that longer rounds was going to suit me. Um, I've got a great chin and um, and uh, you know I just that longer grueling sort of battle against someone in amateur boxing. It's in how fast as you can get the points and even though I developed a good skill in terms of hit and not be hit fast. Uh, pro, pro did suit me better. Yeah. 
Have you enjoyed the the smack talk element of it as well? The little bit of build up to fights. And James Metcalf is your is your opponent this weekend. But has that been a, a friendly build up or one filled with aggro? Or how's ah look, no, I, I I didn't come over for the press conference early, and um, he had a little bit to say. He seems confident, but uh, nothing I haven't heard before. I've heard it all, and uh, it's all a bit of fun. Usually, when people are, are going on and on, they're usually telling you exactly how they're feeling and thinking, and in a funny, strange way. So I usually like to let people talk and it usually lets me know where they're at you know so you're talking on the ring that's it yeah that's, I mean at the end of the day why, why buy into it all when when the, when the bell goes it all happens there so it's, it's all fun and games really until the bell goes you used to go to the Bernard Dunn fights yeah, look, the, I mean, this is this is amazing for me. I, I remember being at those fights, and even when he made his homecoming in the National Stadium, um, I remember being there and being amazed by the whole spectacle of professional boxing, which was completely different to, to the amateur um, in terms of spectacle. But um, that was brilliant, and, and even when I won my title, I got a brilliant message. I only seen a week after the win of Bernard saying, well done, Dennis, world champion, and um, and I still, I, I've looked at that video again last week, just and it got me excited again for what's going to happen in the tree arena where I used to watch him fight a lot back in the day. So it's a very exciting time, you know. Full circle. Yeah, um, full circle, yeah. It sounds like it wasn't always your intention to go pro. Like if, if the recession hadn't come and your carpentry business had been going well, would you have been happy out with a really good amateur career? and getting into business and staying like is there a sliding doors moment here where there's a completely different world where you're doing analysis of fights you're training in a local club here and you're happy or would you have been completely unfulfilled do you think if you hadn't taken the path you've taken well it's funny enough because as as a kid um uh, as a, I think just before I hit my teenage years, if someone asked me what do you want to be when you grow up, I used to say a carpenter and a professional boxer. So professional boxing was always on my horizon. I wasn't that very, I wasn't very conscious of it throughout my amateur days. But then there was a moment, like you say, it just it just came and said, right, it's now or never. Now I'm, it's getting to that time, and then with with everything kicking in the way it did, and uh, I, I was ready to make a bit of a change in life anyway. You know, I'd done ten years as a carpenter here and. I felt like I'd nearly done a lifetime, so it was time to, to move on and, and just do that as well, and, and the opportunity arose. Uh, Australia obviously isn't just professional boxing, is it? You've got loads of other things going on out there as well. You've kind of mm. developed different strands to your life and your career. Yeah, that's it. Look, there's a, I mean, it's a massive sporting country in terms of everything. Everything they do, they want to be the best at, and there's a, there's a massive uh, competition there for everything. Um, but, you know, the domestic scene over there, people didn't know when I was there. Like, I had everything I needed to become the boxer I was with sparring and, and everything. And people didn't really give it the weight it, it, it deserved. And now you have a champion nearly in every way, a world champion in every way over there. Andrew, uh, Jason Maloney just won a world championship again. And we have my sparring partner, Jeff Horn, beat Manny Pacquiao. And, um, you know, there's, there's, there's so many great fighters there. And I was lucky that I was in that domestic league, getting better, getting better, getting better. And when I get onto the world scene, then uh, I was ready and that's what, that, that was something that people didn't know about Australia you know? You're slightly older coming to that level of, of professional boxing than most people as well is that part of being ready too that actually uh, you, you never fully understand the value of maturity until you look back and you go okay I made a good decision there that maybe I wouldn't have made in my 20s yeah, I know. Yeah, look, I mean, that that certainly was the way with me. Sometimes people could have screamed stuff at me and I wouldn't have heard what they were saying until I was ready to hear it. I was one of those people. But, uh, but uh, you know, in terms of um, being 38 and still boxing, 
I don't know what's going on or what, why, but um, I've just seemed to get 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 fitter, healthier, and better with age. So, uh, uh, like you know, people should be slowing down. I think it's the passion that I have for boxing and the goals. And how determined I am to hit them that um, that I have this sort of longevity. The fact that I, I I hit and not be hit is sort of my main thing, and I don't get into big wars. And like Metcalf will try to drag me into a war here. There's no doubt, and that's probably his his best opportunity of winning. But you know, for me, it's about just doing what I do best and just avoiding that. I'll I'll put my foot in the tire when it's time when I want to, but it's about dictating myself and, and getting there. You know. I'd read that after your third fight, you you know you gave up alcohol. You started focusing heavily on your diet, training. Probably went up another notch. Did something click in your brain at that point that you were like, right, I'm, I'm really gonna focus on this now? Yeah, yeah. Well, that's it. Like you know, that's my tattoo here says, "Give it everything you've got." My grandfather. The, see, I didn't know it at the time because I was actually annoyed at the time. But it's actually nearly something you'd see in a movie when he had, he knew I was partying one night and he said he said just give up that drink son and give it everything you've got and he and he passed the phone back to my mum. Little did I know they would be the last conscious words he'd ever say to me. All right. So after I went and had a draw and then uh, in my third fight and then he passed away, it hit me. I was like, what am I doing? Like this is this isn't an amateur where you can have losses and it doesn't mean anything. This is a professional boxing career, and and a loss sets you back years, especially at at this point in my career. But so I just went all in, and just yeah, and and it was the best decision I'd ever made in my whole life. Paddy Burke is the grandfather that yes, you have the tattoo. He was a renowned coach himself. That's right. Yeah, he brought me along from the age of six or seven to Nace Boxing Club. Um, and um, you know, I, I was there as a kid and underage fighting up to the age of eleven, and then competitive till. Till, till 13 till I went to Grange Con he, he gave it up after that but um, he was always there I was always in my corner I was always a big influence on me yeah. he was in the you, blood then you weren't, oh, yeah. you weren't ready to hear that wasn't ready yeah oh, but up, up to that point I wasn't ready to, to hear anything um, not that anyone was screaming at me like I, it's like you know it, it sort of got blown out of proportion back in the day you know Dennis this that and uh, headlines and uh, you know a, a grilling on KFM but what kind but, of stuff I missed all that sorry oh well, it was just all you know um, about being an alcoholic and and all this stuff and there was there was spreads going on and I got grilled and I was you know was it a case then as to be bottles in your bags I was like no mate I wasn't sleeping rough I wasn't this is on the radio y- yeah yeah, right. yeah Jesus so there was all that going on and even I mean there was a bit of a pressure then after that to just make sure that uh, you know because people were probably worried then if they thought but it was never like that I was just I was just a bucko um, and I, I liked messing with the boys and, and we did all that and we did a bit of partying but then it, you know and then as an amateur I would sort of I didn't have big aspirations to go to the Olympics or World Championships so I was a carpenter I was a boxer and I was just a, I was just a boy you know I was just a, a, a man coming up and then when I went professional though um just dropping all of that, just it, it didn't happen as quick as it should have. And then this story is not a million miles away from Eric's Eric yeah. Donovan story. Like you know, and obviously from 20, 15 miles down the road of each other, you, you both have to have these moments mm. where you recognise I need to change. Yeah, yeah, that's it. Well, I mean that. I mean that's what it was, and um, I, I knew that it wasn't it wasn't good overall. But you just sort of you're not ready to sort of hear it. You're not ready to take it on. You think you're invincible and you're young. And so your grandfather's passing is is that moment dropping? Is it? Yeah, yeah. Because he'd said the words to me, and then and then um, when I went home to see him, he was passing away. He was actually unconscious. I didn't get to speak to him. And then I came home. Uh, it was a quick turnaround, and I had a draw in a fight that I should have easily won. 
and um, and then uh, you know just things was going on and then he passed away and I just went what what am I doing this needs to stop and I need to go all in you know and and, and I did I did go all in you know so what does that mean going all in like yeah just everything I, I call it monk mode I got, you know just in terms of everything I'm in monk mode now 11 weeks no nothing live like a monk just focused on winning game plan is the most thing I think about and you know obviously I'm a dad at the weekends and I'll take my rest time and I do what I need to do but in terms of everything else it's like there's no there's no outside distraction in, in any capacity for 12 weeks um, for sure and you just do everything legit you know and just have that discipline uh, obviously you've made the point about boxing in Australia being so big and the quality of, of fighters is, is so huge at the same time is there part of you that would like a period now where a, a big performance this weekend gives you an opportunity to fight in the Northern Hemisphere for a little while before you wrap up or does it matter like what's the yeah look uh, so you know the last fight got the monkey off my back and that was all due to the, the Mexico fight too where everybody in the whole world thought I won except the, except the judges that were sitting there and, and that was just that was eating away at me every conversation I had with everyone so winning that title got the monkey off my back now I've just I'm here and I'm enjoying it I've done this my whole life uh, I was very passionate to get back and defend the world title in Dublin. That's happening right now. Um, so right now I'm just in a great flow. But I do have a three-fight deal with Matchroom. And um, th- there is three fights there, but the better the better contract is executed if I keep winning. And, um, and you know, I'm just... And, uh, I, when I get this feeling, I, I'm usually right, and I feel like this is going to be my best performance ever. That good country here down in Moon, that good recovery, the way I've done everything, the way my training is, the way I've finished off and I've peaked, has been perfection, and I expect that I'll be putting on the best performance ever. And the the three fight deal, obviously they're global, but would, would that be focused in this part of the world? Do you think? Well, look, I, I mean, uh, that Crow Park fight is still yet to happen, so everything going well with Katie's fight and. Um, and everything else, um, I, I think that that fight would probably happen this year too. So, just, I just all I need to focus on is keep winning, and that's something I'm good at. So, did I read you're distantly, possibly related to Michael Hogan, shot in Bloody Sunday in Croke Park? Did I read that somewhere? Yeah, look, uh, down down the line, there, there will be, yeah, for sure. And um, you know, it's a yeah, I'm, I'm pretty proud of that heritage. To be fair, you know, I certainly haven't sat down either when when people have come come for me in any capacity so uh, we, yeah. that that monk mode that you mentioned do you find that um, arduous is it tough are you comfortable in it like are you comfortable at your weight at the moment that you're fighting that is, is it all uh, an 11 week torture or is it an 11 week of enjoyment for nah, you no it's, it's, it's the first week or two but 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 then you you start to zone in on an, on an energy I like to visualise I like uh, meditation, I like, you know, all that kind of stuff. And after about a week or two, when you just shut out all outside distractions, I mean, that's that comes down to everything. That comes down to bedroom activities, comes down to everything. Just complete monk mode. And you go into this serenity, um, and you just start to get your vibration up, and everything starts to unfold as it will. And uh, and that's um, and that's something that I, that's the, the, the vibration I believe you need to be in when you're going in and then it starts to come out in your in your um in your training and the way you execute your game plan and your clarity and you know just uh, yeah and it's just single focus for for one thing and one thing only to come out and have an excellent performance on fight night the visualization that you mentioned like is that something that you so you, uh, you obviously think about the ring walk weeks in advance you think about the smells of the three arena the sights the sounds what the mm. fans are going to sound like um 
even the music I, th I think you're, you're picking a different mm. song for your walk on yeah, this weekend right, yeah I've changed it a bit yeah. you're not going to tell us obviously what it is it's a surprise nah, let it happen yeah but, but you're right I mean this I mean you know if anyone tries to tell you the visualisation doesn't work me walking out w with a title belt in the tree arena after starting to visualise that when I, sta when I started to see I started to spar world champions and stuff in Australia like Daniel Gale and that and I started to realise well if I keep going and keep putting in I could actually get there and when I started to believe with everything and um, and the way everything has just unfolded it's major coincidental you know if it's not actually uh, vibration but it is vibration it's about putting your putting your thoughts and being able to being able to feel it before it happens and you know and uh, and this is this is why everything is, is unfolding right now because I've visualised it nearly every single day all this all this time you know when did you understand all this what, what was the reading or the path of the person it's, it's, a, it's a really funny story and um uh, I fought um, on, on a team in England. I beat actually. Uh, I had a great win in, in Birmingham. I beat a fella called Jimmy McCann, who had been the, um, the, the the English captain. And we went over and we boxed against a team there in Birmingham. And um, and uh, Kelly Harrington on the way back said to me, "Do you know, Dennis? There's a, there's a great book I'm going to recommend you. It's called The Secret." So she told me that anyway, and I didn't go read it straight away, but um, it ended up getting handed to me in a hard time. Our house got flooded and stuff, and I got stuck in and I read it, and it was just, I was going through some hard times, and I started to execute the law of attraction, and um, and lo and behold, uh, a lot of things started to happen. Now, it's not all about being positive all the time, it's not, it's about balance, but if you can get yourself to that feeling, and you can see it, and you can feel it, then it starts to happen, and then I, I went on this whole sort of journey. Um, um, for years, looking up everything I could, and you know, and now I'm uh, went to seminars about vibration and visualization, Mitchell B and MJB seminars about success and stuff, and I've done all that work, and um, you know, I've got a, I've got a mission, I've got a purpose, I know my why, and um, and I'm ready to execute Saturday, and that's just part of it. It's not everything; it's it's part of a much bigger why and, and mission. So. Um, I read an interview you did with Robert Mulhern in the Leinster Leader back in, in 2018 he talked about you doing public speaking in Australia is that still something that, that's part of your life? It's something that I genuinely love to do and I think that this boxing story uh, every every next chapter um, actually adds another element to it but uh, I can go up and, 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 and speak about all sorts of stuff like of, of, uh, overcoming adversity um, you know goal setting you know all sorts of every, every, anything that fits into my journey which is pretty much everything uh, I really do enjoy going up and speaking about and uh, I'd like to make it something uh, of a of a of a career after my after my boxing, yeah. I was going to ask because this doesn't feel like a homecoming ending. You know, it's it's a three fight deal. There's there's stuff in the future. You're not ready to retire yet, but at the same time, it's good to have this sense of another person developing at the same time as the boxer is continuing to develop. Because at some point, the boxer will stop being the boxer. Mm. Yeah, yeah, that's it. Yeah, that's it. And uh, again, I've already loved to do it for years. Um, after after. Um, you know the, the the losses there of 2019. I actually just pulled back and said, you know what, I'm not doing anymore. Now it's like I, I've stood there and I've thought about I said about overcoming and keep going and never give up. I've spoke about this on stage and it's been recorded. 
and I thought, wow, I actually have to go and win a world championship now because if I don't, I was just, you know, just talking, talking garbage. So I've gone and I've and I've actually lived up to it, and I think that all that will play in nicely when I step on stage again the next time I do. So you seem in a good place, like as you say, knowing your why. Like you mentioned that Mungia decision in 2019 was remarkably controversial, mm. but you seem to be in a place now where you won't let the highs take you too high and you won't let those lows mm. take you too low. So that's a a nice balanced place to be. You, you, you're dead right. I think uh, fighters like myself, you know, Tyson Fury and, and many other, we can actually we can tend to be quite bipolar. We go very high and go very low. And uh, but I do have mantras and stuff like that to stop me from to be centered and be balanced. Um, when the high goes high, I can nearly expect something to to give me something to come crashing down. And the more I balance that myself and regulate it in myself. Uh, the more um, it stops the lows and the highs going to. So it's, it's really just about uh, humbling yourself when things are going good and, um, and and not being too hard on yourself when things are going bad. So Have you, uh, co- have you come to the meditation recently or has that been a long time? Uh, no, it's, it's been a long time. I didn't realise how much I actually did it naturally before I, I understood. You know, I, I love to walk in the evening. It helps me sleep. And... Um, you know, I'm lucky that I live in Brisbane beside the sea, and I, I didn't know, but you know, I'm, I've been walking in nature for a very long time, uh, all that kind of stuff, and um, you know, it's just uh, it, it comes to me quite quickly anyway. I can zone out quite quite quickly and just feel good about myself. And when you spend time in that space, it starts to show up in your life as well. You know, what challenge will James Metcalf? provide for you this weekend you said you expect him to make it a war how how will he try and do that well look i believe that in terms of skill and ability um i'm i'm I, you know i'd be superior there and um he he will try to make it a dog fight you know he he'll, he'll he'll come in and give it everything to try and get me to fight his fight you know but it's about me being a matador in, in this situation and i do love a fight and a rip and, and and i'll let it happen but it'll be on my terms when it happens and uh, if I can do that again like I do with fighters I'll break his heart and, and, and he'll feel that and he'll get very very lethargic and out of ideas uh, uh, you know through, through halfway through the fight and onwards Do you know what time you're scheduled for the ring walk? I think I could be somewhere around 8.30 I right. think I've, it's it's uh, I'm, I'm used to being the last fight if not you know co-main but um you know, Matchroom, I think, have me on third last this time. So, is what it is. An early night for me is a change, but it's 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 good. Should be pretty full, I think. Uh, people getting in early to experience the the whole uh, extravaganza that will be Katie Taylor's homecoming. So, I'd say there'll be a big crowd for you. Should yeah. be. Yeah, no, it's all good. <laughs> it's all good. Well, listen, we wish you the very best. It's been an incredible journey, and it's clearly not finished. So, uh, whatever happens this weekend, we wish you the very best. And it does feel like the whole country. Certainly, the comments coming in are. are uh, uh, great chat with Dennis. Best of luck to him. Uh, people are behind you, so best of luck. Beautiful. Thank you very much. Appreciate that. And uh, Dennis Hogan fighting James Metcalf on the Katie Taylor undercard this weekend, and giving us a hint that maybe Croker is on the on the horizon still too. Uh, right on tomorrow's show, we'll be back. We'll have Graham Hunter, Eric Donovan, Derek McNamara, plenty more besides. OTB AM with Gillette Labs. Get the ultimate shave or your money back. Neon Night Edition available now.